Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and scores, and I think that went off of Ryan O'Reilly. New York walks that line, Miller shoots and scores. Brickle, rather Achari, breaks his stick on the post. That one's frustrated Bennington. Well, Barbashev lost it, and it's Kreider on a breakaway, shorthanded, shoots and scores. Six to four, New York. Shorthanded goal by Kreider. The chips just not fall in the way of the St. Louis Blues. As the heads Rangers drop. beat the Blues 6-4, and the Blues he's trying to snap a four-game losing streak tomorrow against the New York Islanders. There were signs of sparks here tonight, but then again, the turnovers ended up in the back of the net a little too often. Alex, there was a point in time where I thought last night, it's going to be a different story tomorrow, boys. Going to feel a little better when we come in to talk about the St. Louis Blues. And then the same thing happened again. Three, but three goals in a period in a different period. That's right. This time it was uh, collapsing once again in the third it was in the m- most important period of the game, allowing a shorthanded goal. Oh, and it's just it, it's more of the same. And the, the weird thing is this game, they actually played all right for the most part at five on five. Their power play was atrocious. Their penalty kill was bad on the one opportunity that they got once again. And now I have lost hope. Like we asked the other day, what is your level of concern on the Blues? The morning show asked today, are you ready to fire up the panic bus? I'm there. I don't know how at this point they get me back on track. I think that I am now completely off. Can I interest you in a seven game win streak? You could. I just, I don't think that that would even get me back on board now because I would just be waiting for the next losing streak because that's kind of how the season has been. They have been incredible. They have been consistently inconsistent when they go against the bad teams. They play all right for the most part. When they go against the good teams, they get their butts whipped And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. He called you. He called Grant Tanner five times yesterday. All right. It was almost like you were here with us. Made me feel better. Alex, last night for me was the breaking point. You played a team that was in a similar spot to you where they were going through their struggles as well. You should have won that game and you found a way to lose once again. Was it that way for you? Yeah, I I mean, it's hard not to be the breaking point because this was actually one of the teams. Now, despite the name where you look at it and you say, oh, New York Rangers, you're not going to win that game. They were a team that was a 500 team, a team that was not winning on home ice and a team that was blowing leads. Their head coach basically said that they've got no compete in their games. Sound familiar to you? So this was a tale of two teams that were in the same problem, and one of those was going to break through on it. And the New York Rangers were that team, despite the Blues. And I said this post game last night, their first two periods, I thought they were great. Like they were playing the way that the team was built to play where it was puck possession in the offensive zone. They weren't putting on a defensive clinic, but they weren't allowing the Rangers to possess the puck because they were spending all of the time in the offensive zone. Now you made some mistakes, but you know what? Those go in the back of your net and you find the mental fortitude to power through and take the lead once again. But then the third period hits and 
to say that it's the breaking point and firing up the panic bus, guys, look no further than the goal differential. I mean, Curbs has talked about this before. I've mentioned it. Like, you go back however many years you want. Teams that are in the playoffs have a green goal differential. They're on the positive side of it. Teams that are out of the playoffs have a negative goal differential. There's only two teams currently sitting in the playoffs that have a negative goal differential, and it's the LA Kings and Edmonton Oilers. No coincidence that the Pacific Division is just not very good. But the Blues have the fourth worst goal differential in the National Hockey League right now. Anaheim is the worst, minus 46. Chicago's minus 27. Columbus is minus 26. And the Blues are minus 23, and they've played 25 games, and they've lost four in a row. You're basically losing by an average of a, a goal per game. Yeah. Is essentially what that scoring margin tells you. So watching that take place against the Rangers, I'm not going to sit here and say, because mathematically, they're not out of the playoffs. Because for some odd reason, the Central Division is just awful, and you're five points from being in a playoff spot. So you can turn it around. But for me... Yeah, last night was kind of a breaking point because that was a team that was also struggling with an identity and they found the they found the ability to win that game knowing that they had a bad game and the Blues were unable to do that. Yeah, the Blues, it kind of comes down to, you know, good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose, and that felt like a bad team finding a way to lose and against a team that had been struggling to your point. And that's kind of why I'm at the point where it's panic. It's t- that's the breaking point for me because I know we said I think it was last week. And not a lot's changed since then, but it was you know wait till the end of the month, see how they react to the rest of the schedule. It's hard for me to look at the re- the schedule: Winnipeg, Colorado, Nashville, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, Vegas. Brutal man. It's tough to look at the schedule and go, yeah, they'll turn this around at some point. I mean, they've given up six goals three straight games. That that's hard to imagine, and that right there to me just says. I, I can't see a turnaround point. And, and to your point, it, it's the same thing over and over again. I haven't seen much change from this team. So the breaking point, I, I think it was last night. There was a point last night. I didn't text us to the group to peek behind the curtain, but I almost texted you guys and said, when can we stop watching the Blues? Because Never. they're almost, they're almost to that point. You're supposed to be listening to them in my pre and post games here on meant, 101 man. ESPN. You're well, pulling Alex. And to Tanner's, no, I just don't buy into the college basketball. By the way, I might start watching basketball a little bit more now. Yeah. Uh, Grant, time. Grant our, our producer on Blues games, he tweeted this out last night, and I used this on post game. Blues have allowed six or more goals six times this season in 25 games. They allowed six or more goals six times all of last season. Like that right there tells you the narrative of this team. They just, for some reason, they find a way to take their foot off of the gas when they absolutely cannot do it. And it goes back to the Doug Armstrong quote. Sometimes you got to jam the knife into the opponent's brain and kill him off. Blues had that chance last night and they didn't do it. Went through a few quick stats for you guys. Oh, BK buildups back the blues so far this season because sometimes it's just about the blind resume right if I took off the name took off the jersey just showed you what this year what this team has done so far this year if you weren't a fan of them what would you say about them right the say it aloud test the blues are 26th in the NHL in points percentage they're 24th in goals per game they're 29th in goals allowed per game they are dead ass last and penalty kill percentage. Come on, man. You didn't have to say dead the ass The only last. thing that is their saving Dead. grace when it comes to their penalty kill is that they are also last in penalties taken so far this year. If it wasn't for that, if they were taking more penalties, they would be getting destroyed in these games right now because they'd be put on the penalty kill more often. They have the worst one in the, in the NHL. And those goals that you're talking about, Alex, where they have allowed six or more, what is it? 
six times, six times in so far this games. We'd be at like 10 if it Can wasn't I? for them being actually pretty disciplined. The one thing which is shocking to me that they have been above league average at so far this year. Can you guess what it is? The power play. The power play. They're 14th in the NHL in power play yes. percentage. I like the how we said thing. above league average. You're two away from yeah. being league average. The only thing that they have done well so far this season. Yeah. When you look at the numbers, it's in black and white. This team's just not good. They're not good. They haven't been good for the vast majority of the season outside of like a five game stretch where they did play pretty well. And most of those games came against poor opponents. So I'm out. I'm out. It, it's it's going to be hard for them to be able to win back my belief at this point in time. They can't hurt me anymore, Alex, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You getting out of this relationship? You're not yeah. letting it affect Been you anymore? It's a toxic relationship, and I, I don't want to be a part of it any longer. You know what they always say. There's more fishes in the sea, right, Tanner? That's true. Well, I think. I haven't got one yet. But <laughs> I, I mean, I just, and I know I sound like a broken record. I always just go back to that um, the goal differential. And honestly, for the Blues right now, the reason you go to that goal differential is, I mean, it's the tale of two teams, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but a team that at least had really good goaltending that was keeping you alive, now you don't have that. Now Bennington has been getting he's been getting beat with some goals that you just don't want him to allow. Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, that, that was my reference. I don't want to anymore. Jordan Bennington had been playing really well this year. Now, I think some of what's taken place is he is just getting worked into the ground. In the Blues' last 19 games, he started 16 of them. The only games that he didn't start were the back-to-back, the second half of a back-to-back where Grice got those starts. And that's going to be the same thing tonight. We expect that Grice will be in net for them. So once again, 16 of the last 20, so that's 80% of their games, you've got Thomas Grice in net basically exclusively when it's a back-to-back. No other goalie in this stretch of games has started more than 14 games. So Binner is by far the highest workload over the last month of the NHL season. And in the last six starts that he's had, he's 0-6 with an 827 save percentage. He has given up a total of 27 goals in those six games, which is good, quote unquote, for a four and a half goals against on average per night. He's been bad, and that's not all on him. A lot of it is he's not getting the help that you need from the guys in front of him, but some of it. Last night, I think there were at least two goals that he'd probably like to have back. And some of it is on him. The one thing this team could count on for most of the season, Alex, has now come back to bite them, and it is no longer there to prop them up. Watch the body language of Jordan Bennington. Tells you it's a guy that is frustrated with himself when he looks up to the rafters after a goal goes in. He got beat by a couple of point shots. I think a majority of those goals that were scored last night on him were once again deflections off of either the Rangers because they're outworking the defense to get body position, or they're getting deflected off of their own players going off of Justin Falk's stick, but all of those are results of turnovers but when you're getting point shots from Matthew Schneider that are going five hole or you're getting point shots from Keandre Miller that are going five hole that tells me you got a goaltender who's frustrated and it's just going against him right now might be a little fatigued because he has played so many games but more than anything I think it is just frustration setting in for everyone but that was your safety net like last night was the first time they've given Bennington's given up a breakaway goal this season it's the first time he's given up a breakaway goal and think of how many turnovers this team has had this year And that to me is where it's like, okay, now you're about to hit this side of things. Now, optimistic side is maybe the team can turn it around and say, look, our goaltender needs us to pick him up and they can start focusing on a 60 minute hockey game. But we saw that last season where the blues played actually decent, but then their goaltender let them down. So 
I mean, it's just a mixed bag right now, and it all goes back to one word. And Barubi said it multiple times last night post game. It's confidence. And what's fascinating is this team had the same problem when Craig Barubi took over and built confidence back up. But you had a group of players who had been established in a long in the league a long period of time and knew that they were better and kind of grabbed a hold of this team. You've got that same group of players now, but it's a different mindset. And if you lose confidence, I don't know how you get it back. Somebody on the text line from the 314 says, you guys just spent 20 minutes talking about how bad this team is. Then you set the goalie numbers and blame him. He looks fantastic 95% of the time. What do you expect when he's uh, left out to dry? Sounds like me last season. I'm not saying this is on Bennington by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is that the Blues were at least in more of these games previously or had a chance late previously because of how well Bennington had played. Colorado, Vegas, Bennington helped them win that game. You couldn't expect that to sustain. You, You needed him to buy you a little bit of time for you to get your game back to where it needed to be. The problem is... You never got your game back to where it needed to be. And now we're seeing the results of that. And if you continue allowing the other team to have so many quality chances every single night, yeah, of course, eventually the dam's going to break. And that's exactly what's happened. This was to be expected. This is not Bennington's fault necessarily, just the reality of playing that position. You can't blame one person through all of this. Like if anybody wants to say, oh, you're pinning this on the goaltender. Oh, you're pinning this on Jordan Cairo. You're pinning this on Vladimir. It's everybody. Because they, the entire team left their foot off the gas in that third period last night. You had a one-goal lead. You had all of the momentum. You opened up the third period and allowed the Rangers into that door where you could have shut it on them and just closed the game out. 65780 is your comfort service text line. If you guys want to get involved in the show, that is the place to do so. Coming up in about 30 minutes or so, we'll get to some of your questions uh, for questions and answers. We didn't get this, Alex, from the text line. You guys think that right now Dom is like, you know, it's 11 a.m. Just sitting back, Dom from The Athletic, sitting back, smoking a cigar, drinking on some whiskey neat this morning, just celebrating the fact that he's finally right about the blues that they have taken. I I think he's vaping and has a sparkling water. (laughs) You know what? That is even a better image. Didn't we have, didn't JR say that like Dom put a piece out a couple of weeks ago and said like, oh, actually they're better than what they're performing. Like, wait a minute. Dom is positive about this team when we're negative. What what world are we living in right now? Like the offense has been better. (laughs) It's not Dom absolutely is vaping right now. The problem is they've allowed in their last, what is this? Like seven games now. Um, four, two, six, five, four, four, six, six, six. Those you know are goals allowed. We will rally around Thomas Grice and we will play good hockey. Yeah, well, we'll rally. It's a revenge something. game for him. Going against the Islanders, damn right. And it's a revenge every game for Nick Letty. It's a revenge game for him. Whoa! And on every team. Nah, yeah. true. Are you saying they should play Thomas Grice for the rest of the season? Sure, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Come and suck for Bedard. The, no, dude, come on, man. Lose hard for Bedard. Nobody needs to be it's that hard aggressive. For Bedard. Coming up in 15 minutes, like the, the college football pick. playoff committee. Hey, credit where it's due. <laughs> they got this right. Unfortunately, the Heisman voters could not have gotten this any more wrong. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But next, Cardinals sure seem to have a number one catcher target. It's the guy we probably should have expected all along. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I want Sean Murphy hitting three for me and catching next year. Um, He was an awesome 
leader this year. Uh, he's grown and matured as a player. Um, you know, and you look at his injury history, it's trending down and his performance is trending up. So, um, you know, all things aside, you know, Sean Murphy for me is back with us and impacting our club in, in the positive manner. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the manager for the Oakland A's yesterday on MLB Network Radio. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll react to the College Football Playoff Committee getting it right, while the Heisman voters seemingly got it so wrong. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Questions and answers at 1145. But Alex, he was speaking there about Sean Murphy, who appears to be the clear-cut top option for the Cardinals when it comes to their catching questions. And this makes a lot of sense. We've said all along, the questions about Sean Murphy are not about him as a player. It's about what the price is going to be. And if the Cardinals are willing to meet that asking price in terms of prospects capital, he was always the clear cut number one. He's the best all around catcher available this offseason. He's very good offensively. He's excellent defensively. He appears to be, based on all reports, a good game caller for the pitching staff as well. Also, he's young and has a lot of cost con- or a lot of uh, team control remaining. So, all of that makes sense. Yesterday, here is what Derek Gould reported in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Quote, as Major League Baseball's annual industry gathering continued in San Diego, the Cardinals remained in talks with the Oakland Athletics about Gold Glove winning catcher Sean Murphy. Two sources told Derek Gould that Murphy is the catcher that the Cardinals are pursuing the most, the one that they would rank first if pressed, though they do remain involved in talks with alternatives should Cleveland or another suitor outbid them and eventually acquire the 28-year-old catcher. The Cardinals also see Toronto catcher Danny Jansen as an appealing acquisition, and team officials have had interviews with free agent catchers Christian Vasquez and Wilson Contreras. All of that is based on the reporting from Derek Gould, of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think this feels like a clear-cut pecking order. It's number one is Sean Murphy, and if they're willing to meet the price there, just get that done and don't even worry about these other options. Number two, probably trade for a catcher from the Blue Jays. If the Blue Jays are willing to move Danny Jansen, I think that we all are in agreement that he's the one that, even if we don't like him as much as Alejandro Kirk, feels like he's the one that the Cardinals would probably prefer over Alejandro Kirk because how he is defensively. Yeah, T-Bone, you missed Dan Schulman telling us yesterday that he's a really good guy, too. Yeah, Dan, he said that Danny uh, Jansen is one of the best guys he's been around in baseball. So, oh, yeah. that, that feels very Cardinals-y. <laughs> and then after that, it's one of Vasquez versus Contreras, depending on what else they decide to do. <clears throat> Cost will probably determine that. I think this is pretty easy. Meet the price. Meet the price for Sean Murphy. Unless it gets exorbitant in a way that is just like, yeah, they're asking for Jordan Walker. Okay, walk away. They're asking for Mason Wynn plus more. Okay, walk away. But if it's Gorman plus like, I don't know, Matthew Liberator and Alec Burleson, yeah, go ahead and do that. Is it a lot? Sure it is. Is it too much? Maybe. But you get the best catcher available and it allows you the flexibility to go to a whole lot more because of how reasonably priced he is from an actual cost perspective of salary over the next few years so that's where i stand i think that sean murphy makes all the sense of the world for world for the cardinals and i think it's pretty clear at this point that he's their number one target alex yeah i think it all makes sense and i'm kind of on the same page as you with all of those things it does come down to the price for me but i'm getting to the point now where all of these other like danny jansen just doesn't get me excited so if the options come down to we'll give up a heftier price and get a really good catcher who can play a majority of the season as your number one guy and be an offensive weapon for you or pay a less price 
and get a guy who's going to play maybe half of the season and Andrew Kisner is going to get more and you might have good offense. I mean, Dan Schulman told us yesterday he's streaky. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay the half to your price. It's like a trash bag. You want the bag that's going to hold everything. You don't want the one that's going to rip as soon as you take it out of the you trash can. Brand. You go hefty, 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 right? Thank you very much. So that's why I think Sean Murphy's a smarter option. I I always find myself to fall back to Wilson Contreras, though, even with the price met, because I just want that offense, and I think Wilson Contreras can be a guy who's going to play more games behind the plate than uh, Danny Jansen would. But it's very obvious that they want somebody who meets both criteria. And there's only one guy that does that, and it's Sean Murphy. And I don't think there is a puke point for me when it comes to this, unless we're talking like four or five of your top guys or Jordan Walker. Yeah, see, I, I, the puke point for me would be what you said, four or five, or if, like, Wynn's name starts getting thrown around in sure. that. I, I Even if the plan would be to, say, acquire Murphy and then go sign a shortstop, I'd still still be very hesitant to move Mason Wynn in a deal. And that's, and that's why I always turn to because of the bidding war that's going to occur. I, I still have some hesitancies in terms of going in on Sean Murphy. The Toronto guys, I'm not sold on Danny Jansen, and if that's the guy the Cardinals are looking for, I, I disagree with that move. I I would much rather sign Christian Vasquez than him just because you're getting a good defensive catcher in Christian Vasquez. You're going to get okay offense, but then you can still look to upgrade the offense elsewhere this offseason. But but if they think Murphy's the guy, it's clear that he's the, whatever it is, the catcher's the first domino that's got to fall. And and if the goal is to leave the winter meetings with a catcher, I, I think trade is the route that they're looking to go. And if they can't get Murphy or one of those guys, then they hit the free agent market. But I and in terms of like, I, I think Contreras is just out of the price point at this point. I, I kind of agree with you, Alex. I'd like to have him but I I don't think they can do more if they sign Wills Contreras in the offseason, and I think they still have more needs slash wants on their offseason to-do list. But I, I think, Murphy, if, it, if it's a package of, like, two, three top 100 prospects, I think I'm in, but if it becomes a bidding war to where it's like, you know, you got to include win in the deal or, you know, we want four of your top 100 prospects, it's just not going to happen, well, and the Cardinals shouldn't do that. And Derek just put this out from his piece that basically talked about they're looking for major league-ready guys, at least two of them with a lot of years of control. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I so would you're talking think, Nolan Gorman in one of those young pitchers. Like Yepes or uh, Burleson, something yeah. like that. Those, those well, are you think t- they want all offense over a pitcher, too? I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking major league ready, the Cardinals have. Uh, I guess I mean, look true. at all the major league ready position players yeah. that the Cardinals have to potentially offer. Uh, like, it's, could I interest you in an ace, Dakota Hudson? I, I would think like a maybe Jake Woodford would be of interest for them, or uh, maybe a Henesis Cabrera, maybe a Jordan Hicks. Like, I I think there are options that the Cardinals could give them, and I, I'm talking about the lower end of the deal. The headliner in this, if the, if it gets done, it's going to be Gorman. Is probably going to be Nolan Gorman. I also don't want to underestimate how good Sean Murphy is. Like you look at wins above replacement over the last two years. If you look at the fan graphs version, the only catcher with a higher wins above replacement than Sean Murphy is JT Realmuto. If you look at him versus Will Smith, they're literally identical when it comes to wins above replacement. Murphy has been significantly better. He's got three more wins above replacement, which is almost double that of Wilson Contreras. He is a very, very valuable catcher. Like the way that um, John Mosellock described Tommy Edmond as being a very, very good shortstop, that's how I would describe what you potentially are getting in Sean Murphy. Uh, I need great, man. I don't need very, very good. He's got three years left of club control, all in arbitration years. This year, probably going to be like three, four, maybe five million bucks. He's a pretty good hitter. He's excellent defensively. If they made this move, I would give them a round of applause for acquiring what is almost certainly going to be the best catcher that tra- that moves teams this offseason. And if you're just looking at like taking into account what the cost is, whether it be via capital and prospects or money, I would say if we look back three, four years down the road, 
Murphy will probably be one of the five best players that changes teams this offseason. Regardless, and I know that sounds crazy, but I I think he's going to be up there. Like, I think it's totally in play that Sean Murphy ends up being a better acquisition for wherever he ends up going than like uh, Dansby Swanson does. So I think he could end up being a top five guy from this market. See, I, I'm skeptical of him being a top five guy by by the time that we get look back on this in five years of player to switch teams. Just okay. I, Sean Murphy, and I've brought this up before, he reminds me of the Adam Eaton kind of situation where everybody wanted Adam Eaton and then there was a bidding war for him and they paid an, an extreme, extremely high price and the Cardinals were in on Eaton, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, and they backed away because the price in terms of prospect capital was too much. They couldn't believe what uh, Washington got, gave up for him. And then you look at what what he performed after that trade, he wasn't the same guy he was when he was with the White Sox. And I get it, it's a different position. He wasn't he's a lefty, injuries, he's righty. I, but my concern, I mean, with a catcher, I know that it's it's tough to look at now, but a catcher's getting beat up all the time behind True. the play. I mean, you look at what Yachty went through year in, year out. I could see a situation where he ends up becoming kind of what the Adam Eaton deal was, where you pay a lot because in theory you're getting one of the best players at his position. You bring in bring in Sean Murphy, and then he's just not the same offensive guy that he was when he was in Oakland. And Oakland's one of the hardest ballparks to hit in, mind you. So, mm-hmm. but so I'm not sold completely on Sean Murphy as being a top five guy that's moved in this offseason when we look back on it. I think he's a solid catcher, but I mean he's not a guy that I will look back on probably you know five years from this deal and go. Yeah, boy, we really got a great player. I think it's more likely we go, yeah, you got a good player, you got a good catcher, and you had control on him. I think that's the route it probably ends up going. I guess it just depends what people's expectations are for their next catcher. I mean, we're getting a lot of texts right now about how he's overrated. 28-year-old who's going to hit 240 with good defense, let's slow down here. I don't understand how you guys are saying he's a good fitter, good, good hitter. Excuse me, He's a 250 guy with 18 home runs, strikes out once every four to five at-bats. Guys for the catcher position? It's really good. This is the thing that we've got to take into account is like there are not very many catchers that can play every day back there. Like you're probably going to get what 120 games next year out of Sean Murphy, something like that behind the plate. The number of catchers that can catch that many games and also be above average offensively can count them on one hand. So when you're looking at it through that perspective, I think Sean Murphy is a really, really underrated player. I mean, he's, He's really good. So I I think he's the guy for me that makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, Tanner, to your point on the Adam Eaton deal, I I get where you're coming from. I just think that deal got sideways because of injuries. And there's no way to predict that with like if Adam Eaton had stayed healthy. I mean, you look at the numbers from the first three years, 120 OPS plus 114 and 105. He still offensively was okay, but then it all just came crashing down to earth because of the injuries. And he just wasn't the same player any longer. I could say that about Xander Bogarts, who I really like and I think will be a good acquisition for whoever gets him. I could say that about Carlos Correa if the back issues flare back up. I could say it about Aaron Judge if he ends up being just too big, too strong, too brawny. And five years from now, we're looking back on that and say, oof, can't believe somebody gave him eight years. The 11-year deal for Trey Turner, five years from now, we might be saying they signed a guy that is purely speed and you regret it later on down the road. So I I could make the counter argument on most of these players I think the counter argument on Murphy is just harder to make than most of the other players, especially the catchers that are available this offseason. And I think part of the issue I have with Sean Murphy, and it's probably not even, it's not his fault and it's not anything on paper. It's just a matter of, I have the sense that the, this Murphy move is the kill two birds with one stone. Like I, I if don't that buy, ends up being the case, I if don't this buy is the their protection, if this is their protection offensively, that is to me a totally separate conversation of, then you, you fell one move short again. 
you went out there and got your catcher. Cool. That's great. That can't be the same thing as upgrading the offense and supplementing it with a big bat. He's not that. He's a good bat. He is not the guy that's going to replace the production that you're losing from Albert Pools from a year ago. And I think the other thing for me, too, is, and I just saw someone text in, you know, you're trading away a future all-star, Nolan Gorman. I'm not sure I'm going to go that far. But no, if it Nolan Gorman's the centerpiece of this deal, I mean, we've talked to Jim Bowden, who says, you know, they need a left-handed bat. They need a guy that provides some power to that order. I, I would not give up on Nolan Gorman so early to go acquire a catcher of the future in Sean Murphy. I would much rather do the... Christian Vasquez route or now if Lars is a part of the conversation and I'm not it's not a shot against Lars but I don't think the ceiling is as high for Lars Dupar as it is in Nolan Gorman then I'm, I'm more okay with it but I, I don't think that Oakland's going to have as much interest in Newport as they will Gorman I think they will look at Gorman as a guy that is the future of that franchise as being the star that they would build around or at least the young prospect that they would hope to build around with their middle infield and I, I just don't know if I want to part with a guy that has 30 home run potential power 35 home run potential power for a guy that's, I mean, he's top in, you look at catcher offensive position, but when you look across baseball, he's not one of the top end hitters across baseball. So I, to me, it's too much to give up. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the error comfort service text line. But next, the college football playoff committee, I think they actually got this right this time around. We'll get into that and how the Heisman Trophy voters got it completely wrong. That's all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Now, I got every one of my picks wrong over the weekend. You guys know that, but I didn't pick anything in the college football slate, which is probably for the best. I would have gotten those all wrong as well. The college football playoff is officially set coming off of what was a really fun conference championship weekend. Utah upset USC. We had two big blowouts with Michigan and Georgia handling their business, but then K-State forced overtime and took down TCU And it brought up a lot of questions afterwards of, uh uh-oh, the committee is now on the spot. What are they going to do here? Are they going to boot TCU out of the playoff because they had to play in their conference championship game and potentially put Alabama and Ohio State in after neither of those two teams had to play over the weekend? Guys, I think they got it right. The end result was Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU. First of all, love the matchups. They're new. They're fresh. They didn't force us to watch Ohio State versus Michigan once again. I think this is the right way to go about it in terms of the matchups that we're going to see in the first round. I also think they ended up picking the right teams. TCU should not be docked, in my opinion, for losing their first game of the season in a neutral site game in overtime against a really good, I think, underrated Kansas State team in a game that went into overtime. So I, I think they got it right. Alex, do you think that the committee ended up getting this correct? Yeah, I, I think they got it correct also. I I was a little frustrated when people were saying that Alabama should get in for how that weekend resulted because I thought TCU deserved to be in there. Michigan obviously was going to be in, so was Georgia. And then it really came down to the end of it. And I thought Ohio State was a little bit more worthy than Alabama. And I know yesterday on the fast lane, Stultz was talking about somebody uh, messaged him and said, if you put, you know, Alabama and TCU head to head on a neutral field, the better team's going to win. And I want the better team in the postseason. I, I, I don't personally care about that. I kind of want to see the team that had the most 
the team that had the most effective season, and I thought TCU so deserving was, versus best. Yeah, I they thought TCU was more deserving to be in there for how they performed this season, regardless of the talent that they played also, up against. At what point can we stop saying that this year Alabama was the best? Yeah, I think TCU would beat them. In well, we did that yesterday. Close, but we did it yesterday. We said like, let's put TCU in Alabama's schedule and put Alabama in TCU's schedule. Like TCU is probably going to fare like they did this season, with the exception of maybe not going undefeated. Yeah, I mean. What's so different about the schedules? TCU faced a really tough schedule this year, and I think people knock them because they say, ah, Big 12 versus SEC. Big 12 versus SEC. Man, the SEC wasn't that good this year. Like, at some point, we just have to come to the realization that there were, like, three really good teams in the conference, and then everybody else is just okay. That's kind of how the Big 12 is. That's how the Big 10 is. The only conference that really stunk this year was the ACC, and they didn't get anybody in because they didn't deserve to get anybody in this season. But... I think they got it right because not only do I think that TCU was more deserving of Alabama, I think that they were better this year than Alabama. I I disagree with the common refrain that Alabama was a better team than them. They didn't prove that on the field this year. Yeah, I I agree with that. And and I'm glad to see that TCU got to stay in. And I know that some people will say, you know, when you look at USC, they shouldn't be punished for playing an extra game. I still thought USC had stuff to prove in their championship game because – I know they were put in as a four seed ahead of Ohio State going into championship weekend. I still thought Ohio State was the better football team. I, I know they got shellacked by Michigan, but I still thought their defense was better than what USC's was. USC needs to learn to tackle still, and I, I'm glad to see that they put Ohio State in. I didn't. I agree with you. I didn't think Alabama, when I look at them head-to-head with TCU, I think TCU would be the team that would win in, in a head-to-head matchup. So I at least think it would be a close game. Yeah, and, and, I, and I understand a lot of people were pointing out the, well, you know, you look at their two losses, they lost by four points. Well, a loss is a loss, and I mean TCU's loss was three. One loss, it was an overtime yeah. by three against and the it was top ten a poor, team in the country, and it was a poor coaching decision that lost that game. Yeah, and you know I look at the Ohio State and how they got beat bad by Michigan. I mean Michigan's one of the top four teams in the country, and I just think that game for Ohio State, for whatever reason, was just one of those one offs. I, I think if Ohio State and Michigan were to meet in the semifinals instead of you know now they have to meet in the championship game for them to play again this year, I think it would be a lot closer. I still think it would be kind of a coin flip game. I do think Michigan's slightly better but I don't think they would beat them as bad as they did in the final week of the regular season. So I, I do think the college football playoff committee did get it right. I, I was concerned that they were going to knock TCU out after they lost this past weekend, but I'm glad to see that they kept them in, and they kept them in at the right spot yeah. at three. I, I think once USC lost, the only juggling that there may have been was if, you know, Georgia lost, then Michigan was going to go to one, or if Georgia Michigan lost and TCU won, they were going to jump up to one. I think one through three after the USC loss were basically locks, in my opinion, and I'm glad it kind of stayed that way. That's one that I was happy about. I didn't want to see TCU get bumped down to the four seed and have to go up against Georgia. I think they were deserving to be the three seed and take on Michigan in that first, because I think that's about as even of a battle as you're going to see. Ohio State and Georgia seems a little one-sided going into it, but we've seen crazier things happen. But TCU and Michigan is about as entertaining of a matchup as you're going to get. So the the other college football news that came out yesterday was the four finalists were announced for the Heisman Trophy. Now, I, I think it's pretty likely we know who's going to win it. I, I think that Caleb Williams is probably going to win the Heisman, and I think he's deserving of winning the Heisman this year. I think C.J. Stroud is right up there, and Max Dugan was awesome this year for TCU. I think those were probably the clear-cut top three. I also think there were like seven other players that I could get to before I mentioned Stetson Bennett's name when it comes to the deserving finalists. So the four that ended up being announced as the finalists for the trophy, that'll be in New York for this, are Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback, USC quarterback Caleb Williams, TCU quarterback uh, Max Duggan, and then CJ Stroud of Ohio State. 
Guys, Stetson Bennett, I don't even think was a top top three quarterback in the SEC this year. I would have taken KJ Jefferson over him. I would have taken Bryce Young over him. I would, I would have, have taken, taken Hendon Hooker, Hooker over yeah. him. I think you can make an argument. Now, I'm not sure I would have done it, but an argument that Will Levis, given his supporting cast, the awful offensive line, the lack of wide receiver production around him, the fact that his number one uh, running back was out for many games this season, I think you can make an argument for Will Levis over Stetson Bennett this season. Isn't I think he the, is he the guy that did the mayonnaise in the coffee? Correct. Yeah, yeah. no, that trash shouldn't be a Heisman. The only oh. reason people voted for Stetson Bennett is because Georgia was awesome this yeah. year. They basically said, hey, the number one team, I'll put their quarterback on my ballot. Like, th- this is nonsense. This is one of the worst guys to be associated with the Heisman uh, Trophy finalist, the, the ceremony in New York in years. This I, is egregious. I, I know there's more stats that go into it, but the Hennon Hooker one's the one that frustrated me. And it's like I saw somebody put him head to head and like 27 touchdowns for Hooker, two interceptions compared to 20 touchdowns for Stetson Bennett and if six you look interceptions. At yards per attempt, it's 9.7 yep. versus 8.7. The like, quarterback there, there rating. There is no comparison. The quarterback rating was 154.2 to 175.5. But the one that got me was saying imagine putting Stetson Bennett on Tennessee's roster and put Hendon Hooker on Georgia's roster. Yeah. Like it's Georgia would clear. get better yeah. and Tennessee would get significantly it's, worse. It's very clear who should have been a Heisman. And I, I, I don't know as much about the other ones. The Hendon Hooker's one that I've seen more games of this season with Tennessee. And that one was like, what are we even doing here? Putting Stetson Bennett in this conversation. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that Stetson Bennett made it because I think Hooker deserved to be on there. I mean, if he doesn't blow out his knee, I, his numbers would definitely surpass yeah. what Bennett's were. And they're they're close right now in terms of like yards per play you look at the total yardage in terms of passing yards and to your point if you put him on Georgia guys I'll be honest I wouldn't have to watch a college football playoff because I know who the champion would be because when I look at Georgia their weakest link it's not because he's bad it's just because he is the weakest link it's it's Stenson Bennett in my opinion so he's fine and and this is where I think sometimes it like it gets into a really difficult conversation like somebody from the 636 you guys are highly undervaluing what Stetson Bennett did this year don't even start this nonsense he checks every box for what classifies the Heisman Trophy Award just not true I I mean he he was really solid like his numbers this year you look at them and you're like yeah good year there was nothing about his season that screams to you oh that guy is gonna win the Heisman he was Kirk Cousins he he finished the year averaging like (laughs) two touchdowns per game. That is not Heisman Trophy candidacy. He just happened to be the quarterback for the best team, and this was a year where there were no clear-cut, like, that guy definitely deserves it. But if you're going that route of just getting a guy that is a good quarterback on a highly rated team, Bryce Young was a more deserving candidate this year than Stetson Bennett. And there's really, in my mind, no argument otherwise. This is... It, it, it was shocking to me when I saw that Stetson Bennett was announced as one of the four finalists. Yeah, and really the only game that he had that you looked at, whoa, he might be a Heisman Trophy finalist, was the very first game of the year when they beat the snot out of Oregon. That yeah. was the only game in which he really put up numbers that it was. you look back on and you go, wow, that's a really impressive game. I mean, you look at Mizzou, I know he threw for 312 yards. He was not all that impressive in that game. Uh, when you look at the game against Tennessee, 257 yards, two touchdowns, he was fine, but he wasn't anything special. The only game that he had that was really good was the Oregon game. And, and other than that, it was just kind of a fine year for Stenson Bennett when you look at his numbers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. He is one of the best in the business. We will ask him if he is officially off board with this Blues team. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. We'll talk to our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's start with this from the 314. Hey, guys, I don't know if you've seen the news, but it looks like the Titans have moved on from their general manager, John Robinson. The timing is certainly interesting with the Titans playing against A.J. Brown and the Eagles over the weekend. Do you think that is why he was fired? talked about this a little bit off air alex what do you think about this i i don't think it's the sole reason he was fired there's got to be something else to this i think it ties into aj brown but i think the bigger reason is because they probably look at this team now and yeah you're a playoff team in the top of your division but your team is kind of built like like it's it's bad it's built like what well i, <laughs> Damn. I, I mean I, the, the phrasing was just talking to us like we were boys in the room the phrasing of it was was very poor the team is ass we got it built like probably doesn't make much sense in circumstance of that sentence form. But yeah, we were just talking like we were at the bar there for a second. But I mean, honestly, it is like watching them play against Philadelphia. We've talked about going into that game like, oh, Tennessee's defense is playing much better. Well, you got just shellacked in that game by A.J. Brown. Oh, Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, they look better. Well, they looked awful in that game. Like, I think the owner probably looked at it and said, this guy's terrible at his job. Not just because he traded away A.J. Brown. But because he built nothing for us to like, he built it all around Ryan uh, Derrick Henry, and you can't win solely off of a running back. See, I I disagree. Like, I actually think he's done a really good job there. He's building a team around a quarterback and Ryan Tannehill that makes it really difficult to be able to build a legit championship contender. It reminds me, and I'm not trying to just do this because it's the Chiefs, but it reminds me a little bit of Andy Reid early on, where you have a really good coach and you have Alex Smith as your quarterback. There's always a glass ceiling. There was for the Chiefs. There is for Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. This is the case for a lot of teams around the NFL, especially when you're going up against Joe Burrow or Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, the best of the best. Like Those are the teams that you're going to end up losing to in the playoffs. And so I think the Titans did just about as well as they could, given what their quarterback situation was. And I, I think Vrabel's done an unbelievable job as a head coach. Robinson has had his misses, but all GMs have. If this is about the A.J. Brown deal, then I think ownership where they messed up is not now firing John Robinson. It was telling him during the negotiations, they should have said, hey, just pay A.J. Brown. Like The guy is amazing. He had 3,000 receiving yards in 25 touchdowns in his first three NFL seasons. Hey, that That's the guy you build around. And whenever we do get our franchise quarterback, we're set. We got Derrick Henry. We got A.J. Brown. We got one of the best coaches in the NFL. You're basically sitting yourself up the way that the Chiefs did again with Patrick Mahomes when they had Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and boom, now you're on you're on a really good path. That's where they messed up. I think it was it was a problem in the summer, not what's going on right now. If that's the case, whoo, buddy, they messed up. And to that point, in terms of the quarterback, like let's be honest, I think they think they've got their guy Malik Willis. I know he didn't show a whole lot. He showed some flashes when he got that start on Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs. 
He showed some flashes in the preseason. I mean, would it shock anybody if they move on from Tannehill in the offseason and no. said, okay, we're going to turn the wheels over to Malik Willis? So, Or I, like a... Maybe it's not him. Maybe they end up signing one of the veterans that's available this offseason. They end up getting like but a... But then you're not, to me, you're not really doing a whole lot. You're just kind sure. of going kind of Unless the it's Tom same Brady. way. Well, okay, maybe. But that, I guess that's true. But yeah, I, I don't... The timing of this is weird. The, to me, this almost has the sense of, you know, the GM and ownership didn't get along and they were just looking for any excuse to fire him. And at this point, it was, oh, A.J. Brown performed really well against us. Okay, yeah, we'll use that. And then we'll just move on. I, I bet he... I don't know what teams will fire their GMs yet, but I think at some point when we get to, what is it, Black Monday? Is that what it's called in the NFL? Mm-hmm. There'll be a couple GMs that'll be let go, and he'll probably be the top target for most of those teams, would be my guess. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. I think this is a good one from the 618. Guys, do you think that the Cardinals will have any interest in Yoshida? He was just posted from the Japanese League. All right, so the news from Jeff Passan is that star Japanese outfielder Masataka Yoshida has officially been posted. He now has 30 days to sign with a major league baseball team. Um, and if he does, there will be a posting fee, all of the above. Kind of know how the, the posting goes for this. He is 29 years old. Last year in the Japan League, he finished the season. This is remarkable, honestly, with 82 walks and 42 strikeouts. He has a batting average over 300 in basically every one of his professional seasons. He had an OPS over 1,000 last year. His power has really come to be over the last couple of seasons. Do I think they should as a guy that is a uh, left-handed hitter? Absolutely. He's 5'8", a buck 75. That's the one thing that maybe would give you some pause, but I think they should have interest in him. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, he plays for the team that uh, Sotaguchi is the hitting coach for. Oh, interesting. In that league. So, and I, I don't know this to be true, but I, I thought that this was kind of a team that the Cardinals started to build at least a little bit of a relationship with. And maybe there's some track record of it. Derek Gould, I think, reported that the Did other he? day that they have some kind of a connection. But with him. Uh, the fact that Sotaguchi is a hitting coach for that team, I mean, it makes the connection there. The problem with this is uh, there's always a bidding war for these guys. And sometimes those bidding wars limit the Cardinals from getting involved with it. But yeah, I absolutely think you get involved with this because he's an outfielder. He's a lefty. He's got power. He's got plate discipline. I mean, what else can you ask for, especially if your outfield's depleted? And if you move uh, Lars Newpar in a deal, yeah. here's your like here's your direct Lars replacement Newpar. for him. So I, these guys are always interesting and they're tough to get a read on, especially the hitters. The pitching side always seems to play out a little bit better from guys coming over from uh, these leagues over there in, in Japan. Is typically sometimes these hitters come over and they're kind of the next big thing, and then they struggle once they get to the major leagues. And then you look at it and you go, "Ooh, I, it's typically not a massive Unless contract." Unless you're Shohei Otani. I mean, he was—I mean, he was a unicorn. But yeah. typically, most of these guys. How do you aren't, know he's not a unicorn? Well, this guy can't pitch. Uh, so typically, typically, some of these guys come over here to the to major league baseball, and it's a tough adjustment for them. That's why I'm always hesitant to say get into a bidding war for one of these guys. Yeah. But if you're going to move Lars and he comes in on a decent deal, like three years, and I don't know what he makes, 10 to 15 million a year, then yeah, okay, I, I'm, I would hear the argument for doing so. I feel like I always come back to this, though. Like, this can't be the only solution. Sure. Like, I feel like this every time... This would be a replacement for, like, a Conforto. This it would, would be, be the, the alternative bat. to that. Yeah, this would be the bench right? Because it's like I, can't, like, I can't justify trading for Sean Murphy, signing this outfielder and saying, oh... There's our offseason yeah, because really, that's not it. I think this would be like the Andrew Benintendi equivalent, but yeah. you're signing him from overseas as opposed to a guy that's been here. And I, I honestly don't know how he compares to Andrew Benintendi because I've, I've never seen the guy play. The numbers are super impressive. The scouting reports seem to indicate that he's somebody that would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals. 
just a matter of do their scouts like what they see over there. They've had some success overseas, especially in the Asian market. Uh, this would be something that I would imagine the Cardinals would have some interest in. And now that it's official that he has been posted, I would think that we'll probably hear some more reporting. That's probably something that guy, uh, the reporters in San Diego will ask of the Cardinals. I would think they probably have some some interest. The one thing that might be tough is that there's 30 days until he's like got to be signed somewhere. They're going to have to do two things at once where they've got to decide, OK, is that a better market for us in the blind bidding war compared to the left handed pl players that might be going off of the off the board? over the next few days or weeks. Yeah, but so. if you want to solve the catcher position and Lars Nupar is the guy that Oakland wants, maybe this gets solved quicker for you. Right, but what I mean is if you're in the market for a left-handed outfielder either way, the free agents that are available to you now could be gone by the time that you find out whether or not oh, you ended up winning the bidding for this player from Japan. And in that scenario, you could be left with nothing. And that's the worst case scenario. Because my, my guess is he's going to be the first of the, would you say, four left-handed bats that have come up that Bellinger, are the top. Conforto, Nimmo. Bellinger, Conforto, Nimmo, Benintendi. If you want to throw uh, Brantley in there. Sure. This guy's probably number one to come off the board because he's not going to be as expensive as some of these guys. And, I don't know. And you got a limited time period for him to be done. I feel like these guys are always more expensive so than I you think, think they are. I think some of these guys might be going off the board over the next couple of days. Yeah. And Maybe. in that scenario, then, then I think they come off first. And um, I just don't know how the Cardinals would prioritize them. But to answer the question, yeah, I think they should be interested. And it's just a matter of what the price ends up being. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into better to forget. If you guys have a scenario, we'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. That's coming up at 1215. Jeremy Rutherford is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyler. We're going out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the Blues Insider for The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, joining us here on the show. Jer, how you doing, my man? Doing all right, doing all right, guys. Just listening to Tanner tell me how he's a celebrity and everybody at Jury Duty knew who he was. Yeah. It was impressive. He came in this morning. He said, guys, first of all, love Jury Duty. It, yeah. was, the, it was the best experience I've ever had. He said he was begging him to put him on the the crew and then he told us about how as he was getting ready to go through the process there was a man that recognized him raised his hand when they said hey do you know anybody in here he said hey i don't really know the guy but uh i listened to tanner hendrickson's show every day and just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that and then apparently seven other people raised their hands and said hey i listened to that kid too and that right there is why we wear headphones at the grocery store jr <laughs> that's, right. that's why i'm here today <laughs> A shout out to those people listening in jury duty. Uh, Tanner gets <laughs> off, but uh, but they're still there. That's right. Uh, right now, it might be better to have jury duty than to watch the Blues on a nightly basis, Jr. What's gone wrong with this team? I, I know that's the question that we've been asking really all year long, but is there an easy way to frame what has gone awry? I would love to be on jury duty tonight. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think that... Gosh, you know, even in the 15-minute segment, it's tough to hit on everything. But, you know, I, I've tried to explain it from my point of view this way. I tried to do this in the mailbag a couple of days ago. That I think this is a good team on paper. I think it can be a good team on the ice. But I think once the season got started, you could kind of see some of the flaws. I think when you don't have somebody to play with Ryan O'Reilly and you miss that guy on the right side, 
David Prunt, listen, we can beat up the team all we want. That's not going to change anything, but it exists. It's an issue. They missed David Prunt. I think defensively, when Nick Letty came over in the trade, uh, he can skate. He can guard against the top offensive players on the other side. But I think big picture, there's no one physical in that top four. And I think that when teams go out there, they're just not necessarily afraid of anybody. And not only that, but we've seen you know, what can happen when they don't skate and get the puck out and aren't able to box out anybody in front. There's just a ton of goals against, and you're putting a lot more pressure on Jordan Bennington. I think what the biggest surprise to me is the special teams, and they were so good last year, and they're not this year. And you look at a power play who you guys touched on it earlier, that's probably the best stat of the season right now is, is the power play middle of the pack, mm-hmm. and, yet, and yet they almost give up two shorthanded goals last night. And, and then you look at the penalty kill last in the league. So um, I think once those flaws are exposed, then you lose games, then you lose confidence, and it's hard to get back. And Jr. speaking of that confidence, I mean, that's something, that's a word Craig Berube has used multiple times. And, of course, people go back to the 2018-2019 season when he came in and said, this is a this is a team that lacks confidence right now. we got to reinstill that. I, I don't know if you're a head coach, if you can do that twice with the same core of people, but it seems like that's their biggest issue right now. Yeah, so it's a good point. Here's the only thing. So when, when Craig Ruby comes in, and that was where the first words out of his mouth, you're right, back in 2018, he takes over for Mike Yo, and he said, this group needs confidence. Well, guess what? They had a really good roster. They had a really good lineup. They had Stanley Cup hopes, and now you got a guy coming in who's pumping energy into the team. And, oh, by the way, you know, you're already a couple months into the season, so you're going to be able to fight through those dog days of January and, and February because now you've got this new confidence and, and you're winning games and people are saying you can't come from last place and make the playoffs and, and they get in the playoff spot and, you know, the rest is history. You know, now is a different situation. And this is not an indictment on Craig Bruby whatsoever. You know, I've already, you know, made my uh, you know thoughts known on that, that I don't think Craig Bruby is, is the issue. But now you're talking – mid-season, look, we haven't even gotten to the dog days yet. And this team has, what, a 6% chance of, of making the playoffs? And if you're looking at the, the roster, you know, what's going to change? What's going to get better in the next couple of weeks that gives these guys hope? I mean, uh, you know, how do you make a trade in, in early December that's going to change the face of your team? I, I just don't think it's possible. And unless these guys somehow get better all of a sudden, then, then things aren't going to change. So it looks like it's going to be a really long season. I have no doubt that at some point – Doug Armstrong is going to do something, uh, and I, I repeat myself by saying uh, I, I don't think other teams around the league are ready to do that to do that right now. But as soon as they are, I think something will happen. Jr. I think we're I think tomorrow or maybe two days from now would be exactly one month removed from Doug Armstrong's comments uh, during that losing streak. And I, I remember talking to you during that situation, and I said, "Hey, Jr. We." Are we overstating all of this? Like we're we're ten games into the season, they've lost at that point. I think it was six in a row. Is is all of this a bit too early to be talking about trading guys off and the rebuild or retool or whatever it might end up being? I don't think it's too early anymore. I think now we're we're officially there after this most recent recent stretch. So I wanted to ask you a question that I'm going to ask of Alex later on. Is this a situation where hockey trades could make sense for the Blues, where they kind of try to retool on the fly? Or is this going to be kind of a necessary rebuild on the fly where you end up maybe trading a Ryan O'Reilly and a Vladimir Tarasenko and maybe it ends up being like an Ivan Barbashev for draft picks and you just try to kind of redo this thing in the offseason? 
Yeah, so to touch on that first point, you know, when Doug Armstrong decides to come out 10% into the season and say that, you know, that kind of catches my attention because I, like you, thought, okay, this is, you know, kind of early, but if uh, the president of hockey operations decides he's going to come out and say something, and I realized there were other motives, you know, everybody was getting tired of hearing what the coach and the team had to say, so Doug steps up to, to be that voice. But still, for him to come out uh, 10% of the season and say that, I think he saw something definitely that even you know some of us saw. Um, but now you get to a point where what, what can you do? You know, let's look at uh, you're not giving up on the season, but what can you do? Retool, rebuild. You know, I mentioned earlier that we're probably still weeks or, or maybe even a month or a month and a half away from, I think, being in, in a position to trade some of those unrestricted uh, free agents. You know, I could be wrong. Maybe they could work out a deal, Tarasenko, in a couple weeks, and and, uh, and that change is made. Uh, but I think we're still a little ways away from that. The, the, the key thing is here, what will Doug Armstrong try to do? Will he try to work on the fly and, and, and try to make a couple trades that can still make this team competitive the next couple of years and sort of play through this like he's been able to do through the fly, uh, I think, throughout his entire uh, reign as the Blues GM? Or is this going to be a deal where he peels it back and he just strips some of these parts? But then we lead to all the questions that we've been asking for you know weeks now is what players are movable? Like who's taking on a seven-year contract? Who's taking on an eight-year guy? Uh, I think that that's going to be the difficult part. Now, to me, those are off-season summer moves, at which point you know does it get any better the rest of the season? I just don't see that. JR, I, I, I talked about this on post game. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but I'm curious your thoughts. The people that are clamoring for, all right, you know, blow it up, start trading pieces away, get draft picks, and let's enter this rebuild phase. I don't know if people grasp the understanding of how rebuilds work. I think more so than anything, if you're Doug Armstrong, you're looking at this scenario and saying, we need to see if we can do a quick transition. We need to see if we can do what Dallas did with their team or heck, what we did with our team from David Backus to Alex Petrangelo. But I guess the bigger question is, do they have the pieces to make that quick transition in terms of the right guys on the roster to help bridge that gap? Yeah, see, so that's the key, and, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, if you look at a roster, you know, the, the Washington Capitals right now are an extreme. They got 11 guys who are going to be free agents this offseason. But let's just tone it down a bit and say you got five or six guys. You know, not a lot of guys under six, seven, eight-year contracts. You can kind of change things up and, and, and make some creative moves and change this roster significantly so it, you kind of fix the flaws, but you, you still have a team that uh, can compete through this. But when you have Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko, who, oh, by the way, would probably get you a pretty good uh, package back in terms of you know, futures, I, I think that uh, y- you have to look at the situation honestly and say, you know, what teams out there, what cap teams, and those are going to be the playoff teams, the cap teams, heading into the trade deadline are going to want to take on a guy who's not playing well for his own team, and yet you still owe him $40, $50 million dollars and that's what i'm trying to to say here is it's not as easy as a as a fix for doug armstrong if you decide to take the rebuild route like he's going to have to take each case by case okay here's tory krug is there any interest out there in him with his contract you know and i'm just pulling up examples of guys with long-term contract you know colton prakel braden shen so on and so forth i mean you, you can't just pick up the phone and unload four of those guys with those long-term deals you know, find this nice package for them, and all of a sudden you got a different team with a lot of hope that 
you know, can be a little bit competitive, but at the same time, you're really building for the future. This is a, a really, really difficult situation that the Blues are in. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. People can find your uh, your pieces on the mailbag over at The Athletic, or they can follow you on Twitter for all of your reporting throughout the days at JP Rutherford. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Yeah, yeah, and just posted a, a podcast with John Hamm. Talked to him a couple days ago, and, and that was just posted. So uh, he was uh, really good, fun to talk to, and, you know, he's trying to keep a, a bright outlook here, but uh, pretty honest about the Blues right now. I guess say, what does he want, Jared? Does John Hamm want to rebuild or a retool? <laughs> well, you have to listen to find out. Oh, oh you son of a, a gun. What you a son of a gun. JR, we'll talk with you soon, man. All right, see you guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. I think what he said there at the end is is a really important part of this, Alex, and it's what one of my concerns was when the Blues started locking themselves into some of these long-term deals, and I know we had a million different discussions about whether or not they're good or bad or what's the worst contract on the team, all of these different things. It's not even so much about like the back end of the deals anymore. It's about what if you waste or if you don't take advantage of the front end because you, you signed the longer term to get the AAV down, like on a Braden Shin, um, Brandon Sod was this way, any of the defensemen, you can point to all of them. You take down the AAV by extending the deal, and you hope that at the front end of that deal, you end up taking advantage of it, winning at a high level, and you don't even worry about the back end. That's basically what the Phillies are doing right now in Major League Baseball, right? They're they're saying, hey, forget 2028, 2029. We'll figure that out when we get there. We want to win now. And that's where the Blues have been at over the last few years. The problem is, what if you don't do the winning right now? What if you just lock yourself into mediocrity for the foreseeable future and you did so without really knowing or acknowledging at the time that that's what you were doing that's the fear right now is that the blues in 2022 came into the season thinking they still had another year or two of legit contention and now you're looking around saying oh no this fell out like the bottom fell out before we were expecting it to and if it falls out this year the foreseeable future does not look bright because of all of these long-term deals that you have on the books. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'd argue you're kind of already in that mediocrity right now, and you got to figure out Definitely. how to get out of it. JR's right, and we're going to get into this in the 1 o'clock hour, but you're not going to find a team that just says, yeah, we'll take Tory Krug's next five years at $6.5 million. Or, yeah, we'll take on Justin Falk for the next six years. Nobody's making that deal right now. I don't even know if somebody's making that deal in the offseason. Your cap's going up, but you had the opportunity to do that this past offseason, and you couldn't accomplish that, at least from what reports are. The only position that you're in is your unrestricted free agents and maybe trying to make some type of hockey trade, but that's why we're going to discuss it because – I had so many people text last night in postgame, like, just tear it down, rebuild it. I don't know if people grasp what a rebuild is and for how impatient people can be when it comes to the Blues struggling and then getting better. Guys, we remember last season, people were calling for Craig Bruby's head at one point in the season, and next thing you know, we're talking about a team that's fighting for a Stanley Cup. If you're impatient about that, there's no way you're on board with a rebuild, and that's why I think the better option is a transition, but this is about as difficult of a job for Doug Armstrong as you can ask. Yeah, it is, and it's not getting any easier. No. that's that's The only the benefit part. for Doug Armstrong is that the cap is going to possibly go up by $4 million next year. And even then, like you already have $6 million committed to Braden Shin, 6 to uh, well, Buchnevich, 5 to Saad, 8 to each of Cairo and Thomas, 6.5 to Falk, Krug, and Pareko, what? 4 to Letty, uh, 3.2 to Scandella still next year, six and a half, or $6 million to Jordan Bennington. Like, but what I mean by that <laughs> is it benefits you because more teams have more cap space, but again... 
They're a not lot just of teams take, are in your spot. They're just not taking on a team like they take on a player who's got one more year at that. You're not taking on a guy who's got five more years of it. The Blues right now, before they make a single move next offseason, have seventy million dollars committed to the salary cap. The cap is projected to be at roughly eighty three million dollars. That is despite the fact that they are getting Tarasenko and O'Reilly both off of the books after this upcoming season. A lot of moves that are going to need to be made. It'll be fine. Coming up in 15 minutes, if the Cardinals are going to do this, if they're going to make that big move that we've all been asking for, please don't do it halfway. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. Let's start with this from the 618. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals or the Cubs forget will it. sign Dansby Swanson. One of those oh. two will sign Dansby Swanson. Uh, you had to throw Dansby in there. You didn't. You, you would have said the shortstops, uh, but Dansby, I'm, I'm forgetting this. I, I feel like this is all a ploy of like, oh, yeah, we're in the shortstop market. Like. People are reporting that they're interested, but then John Mozeliak is saying Tommy Edmond is a very, very good shortstop. I, and I just can't believe that they want to augment the offense and protect Goldschmidt and Arenado and say Dansby Swanson is that guy when you've got Correa and Bogart sitting there. And I know those guys are probably going to be more expensive than Dansby Swanson, but they're obviously better players than Dansby Swanson. So I'm forgetting this. I think this is just a ploy. Oh, man, I... I'm going to forget it because, one, I kind of agree with Alex. I'm not completely sold that the Cardinals are that invested in the shortstop market. Granted, a Swanson signing would make sense because it'd be a bad free agent signing. Uh, But I I think the second part of it, too, is I think the Cubs are in on the shortstop market, but I think they're going to try for either Bogarts or Correa ahead of Swanson, and I think they'll land one of them. I'm not sure who because it sounds like Bogarts and Arizona are gaining traction, which is just a weird, weird match. And... Correa and the Twins, I don't think that's actually going to happen. I, I could see them jumping in on the Correa market. I think they get one, but I'm going to bet that, or I'm going to say they go higher than Swanson, so I'm going to forget this. I don't think the Cardinals or Cubs end up with them. I think I'm going to bet it. I think I'm convinced at this point that one of those two teams will end up with Swanson. I do think that the Cubs end up with one of the shortstops. I'm not, I, I mean, it seems possible that they end up with two shortstops at this point. But I'll get more into my explanation on this coming up in the 1230 segment. I do think that it is likely, though, that Swanson ends up in the NL Central. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. This ends up being Lamar Jackson's final season with the Baltimore Ravens. I'll forget this one because we've talked about it. they've built their team around Lamar Jackson. You can franchise them, correct? One more year. Yeah, two more years. Two more years? Mm-hmm. They're just going to keep franchising him until he's you can't do it anymore. I mean, he's your best option because you've built the team around Lamar Jackson despite his struggles this year. So I'll, I'll forget this one. He'll be back. Yeah, I'm going to forget this one too. I, I think you just franchise him two years in a row and then 
if you want, you can walk your separate ways or you can work out a deal for him. I mean, I think they made the right decision. I'd give him a fully guaranteed deal. That sounds like what the holdup is. And he's going to miss, it looks like, one to three weeks now with his PCL injury in his knee. Uh, but I, I can't see them letting him walk because Tyler Huntley's a nice backup, but you wouldn't want to go a full year with him running that offense. You, you just wouldn't. It, it's not smart football management unless you're like, and this would happen with a wide receiver as we saw this past offseason, not a quarterback. Unless you were to franchise him and then trade him somewhere where they can then sign the contract extension, you can load up on assets and try to build around their backup. But to me, that wouldn't make any sense at all. So I'm going to forget this. I think he's back there for another two years. The only way I think that this could happen is if it ends up being like a Russell Wilson situation where the Ravens just say, we think his best years are behind him. And I'm, I wouldn't agree with that. I, I think that he can still be a very productive NFL quarterback. I mean, he... He was on pace before he got hurt to have another thousand yard rushing season. He's on pace to throw for like 3000 yards and 25 touchdowns with 10 interceptions. Lamar Jackson's still been pretty good this year. So I I would keep him. I think they will keep him at a minimum. I think they will keep him one more year. Maybe after that, if you show another season of decline, another year where it's just kind of for them, Maybe then you decide to make some sort of a trade, but I don't think we're there yet. I think it's at least one more year away. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for question, or excuse me, for bet it or forget it. Uh, guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals finish the week with a catcher in their on their team, and that catcher is acquired via trade. I'll bet this one. I'm starting to believe more and more this is going to be Sean Murphy. Like, I'm fully invested in planning on him being a Cardinal at the end of this week. And then it's just a matter of what your team looks like after. But I think that's why they're so aggressive in saying that they want to get this done before they return to St. Louis. Because they know that they're going to have to give up assets to get this catcher. And then they're going to have to figure out, okay, how do we rebuild this team now that we've given up these assets? I think I'll bet this too, because I I think they're ultimately going to go the Sean Murphy route too. Even if I, I think they're going to pay too much for him. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to look at the free agent market and go, okay, we're, we can't really sign Contreras if we want to do more because that takes up most of our offseason spending. Vasquez is fine. Let's go get an all-around catcher in Sean Murphy, who, again, I think is a good player, but is he worth what you're going to give up for him? My opinion, probably not, but I think they will do that. So I'll bet this. I would be pretty shocked if they don't end the week with a catcher. And at this point, I, I genuinely believe it will be Sean Murphy. That is their catcher. I think that they know when you look at the alternatives, like, okay, you could go the Danny Jansen route, but there are a lot of uncertainties there. A, with how his offensive production is going to be, because he's been up and down throughout his entire career. And B, whether or not he's actually a legitimate number one catcher. And in, in Toronto, he's been a guy that has started like 70 games behind the plate most years. Is that good enough for the Cardinals? I think the answer is no. And Alejandro Kirk, Based on everything that we've seen from the the Cardinals reporters that are there, sure doesn't seem like they're connected to him. It it seems like it's more the Danny Jansen side, which surprises me a little bit because all of the Toronto people that we've talked to have said Kirk or Moreno are the two that are more likely to be dealt, which seems to indicate to me there's a bit of a disconnect there between the Cardinals side and the Blue Jays side. So then you go to the free agency market. Contreras is going to cost you about $20 million per year. I, I think that... If we're talking about the Cardinals, potentially their decision making coming down to Christian Vasquez versus trading what it's going to take to get Sean Murphy. And by the way, Vasquez is going to be more expensive than Murphy. Probably each of the next two years, he'll make like eight, nine million bucks. It is a definitive. I would much rather have Sean Murphy, even if that means removing Nolan Gorman from the roster next year. So I would much rather go that route. I think it makes a lot more sense. 
for the Cardinals. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. But next, if the Cardinals are actually going to take the plunge, they're going to go sign that shortstop. Please don't do it halfway. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So you guys have been asking a lot today about the Cardinals in the potentially shortstop market, man, for weeks, we were scolded for bringing up the shortstop market in connection to the Cardinals. And now suddenly everybody wants to talk about the shortstops, which makes sense. This came from Derek Gould yesterday. He said, quote, there is a series of moves that would potentially lead to the Cardinals trading for a catcher, possibly moving a middle infielder in that deal. And then pivoting to bid on a shortstop. The interest in Dansby Swanson has its roots in preparing for those possible moves. A source told Derek Gould of the St. Louis post dispatch. Not all right. So it is possible that the Cardinals end up in that market. If you missed it yesterday, Gould was not the only one to report this. There was also John Morosi who said something similar on MLB network. To me, the Cardinals have been one of those clubs that's been able to have the capacity to spend on a free agent in the past. They haven't quite done it all that recently. They've certainly don't gone the trade market with Goldschmidt and Arenado, but I think free agency, Fran, is one spot I look for the Cardinals to be especially active with shortstops here in the days ahead. I don't love the fact that Dansby Swanson is the name that is being mentioned with the Cardinals. I'm not saying that it is a problem that he is being mentioned to the Cardinals. I just would prefer Carlos Correa or uh, Xander Bogarts. Alex, when you started hearing this buzz yesterday, what was your reaction to this? It was at least they're in the market for the shortstop. And then I hear the Dansby Swanson portion of it. And then it's like, man, that's just not the option to go to with this. I mean, Dansby Swanson is Dansby Swanson feels like you're just signing the name. It's like you're buying it for the the name brand. You're not buying it for the product that it's actually providing. Dansby Swanson is a good shortstop. Dansby Swanson is a average, if not, he's above average hitter. But Dansby Swanson is not the answer to your problems this season in terms of adding protection to Goldschmidt and Arenado. So I think for this Cardinals team, you to get into the waters of the shortstop makes a lot of sense. You're going to be spending significant money on any of these three shortstops, but if you're going to be spending the price that it is for Dansby Swanson, why not go a little bit richer and go get the guy that makes a difference in Xander Bogarts? I think Carlos Correa is too much to ask because it just seems like the years, the money that's going to go into it, but... Like Xander Bogart seems like it's going to be maybe a little bit more of a bite into it than what Dansby Swanson is. So that to me seems like it's the smarter way to go. Yeah, I'm with you on that because I Swanson's a good player, but I it's one of the, it's kind of the same conversation as Sean Murphy to me, where I don't want Sean Murphy for the price that you're going to have to give up for him. I don't want Swanson on the contract that he's going to get because he's going to get a pretty big contract because he's going to be he's the what is it fourth best shortstop on the market. Like there's a massive drop off between Some Swanson. Some people think third. And like Iglesias, who's probably the next best shortstop. And yeah, and some people, I mean, we talked to Kylie McDaniel, I think it was while you were out on vacation, um, where he said, you know, he's one of those higher, one of the higher guys on the market. 
because people view him as being a shortstop throughout the life of the contract. And some of these guys, like Turner, maybe moved to second base at some point in Philadelphia. Correa, you don't know about him. And Bogarts, we've talked about it. I mean, you expect him to be moved to second mm-hmm. base at some point in the life of his contract. And and the other thing for me is to your to what Alex said. I I'm not sure how much he augments the offense. He makes the offense better. But is he really that third impactful bat that you're going to trust to come into your lineup? Because I mentioned this in the office, and it's not a shot against Swanson, but when you think of that Braves team, when does Swanson come up? He's not until like fifth or sixth. Can he handle being the pressure of the guy that's going to be circled going into next year, even if he is hitting two or if he ends up hitting behind Goldie and Arnado? Can he handle the pressure here in St. Louis of you're the guy that's fixing the offense because you're the guy who got the big contract in the offseason, and now you're supposed to be the guy that helps Goldie and Arnado take us to the next level? I don't know. I, I would much rather prefer to go the route of Xander Bogarts or Carlos Correa, but again, I agree. Correa is probably out of the price range for the Cardinals. Okay, let me present the bullish side for Dansby Swanson. Now, I want to say on the front end, you guys know I'm not in on Dansby, Dansby Swanson. I would not sign him at the contract that he's going to get. But in order to play devil's advocate here, I do think there is a bullish side for Swanson. And to me, this would be it. Dansby Swanson had a really good year last year offensively. Now, most of it was carried by his first half. He was outstanding in the first half of the season, fell back to the pack in the second half. But he was really good offensively, finished the year about 15% above league average. He was offensively for... Uh, the Braves, in terms of just the OPS plus type of stuff, basically what the Cardinals got out of Juan Yepes last year. It's pretty good, right? You, you would take that out of your shortstop. Finished with 25 home runs, 96 RBIs. By the way, stole 18 bags. Finished with an OPS of 780. It's a pretty good season. Oh, by the way, over the last three seasons, this is something that probably goes a bit under the radar with him. He's missed all of two games. In three years, he is crazy durable plays almost every single day and there's real value in that the other thing that you have to add to the mix here is as you mentioned tanner he's a legit shortstop now i think that some people overestimate what he is defensively he is not a guy like a colton wong or tommy edmund at times where he's gonna or or even like a nolan arenado where he makes miraculous plays it's not dansby swanson swanson basically never misses the routine plays And that is where the, like, if you look at the outs above average or the defensive run saved, they are very high on Dansby Swanson as a player because he very rarely misses that play where you're like, how in the world did he miss that? Again, there's very real value in that. So when you put all that together, doesn't miss games, very durable, um, played incredibly well offensively last year and is really solid defensively at shortstop. I see how somebody could talk themselves into Dansby Swanson, especially If you have a black hole at that position right now, that being said, I don't think there's enough talk about the fact that he has a very weak arm for the position. In fact, weaker than Tommy Edmond, who some had questions about making the transition from second to short last year. I don't think there's enough talk about the fact that he actually strikes out a lot last year, even in his good season, he struck out roughly the same rate as Harrison Bader. When you look at his offensive profile, in fact, It is over the last three years almost identical to what the Cardinals had offensively with Harrison Bader. And I remember what the conversations were like with Harrison Bader here in St. Louis. People were very much against him as a legitimate offensive threat in your lineup. So when you take all of that into account, people will say, like, why are you guys so low on Dansby Swanson? Why do you hate the guy that is an all-star shortstop that was so good offensively last year? It's because for me... I look at it as the opportunity cost. 
if you're going out there and signing him to a five or six year deal worth $25 million per season, what does that prevent you from doing elsewhere? Not just this year, but over the life of that deal, where now you're going to be talking about for the next few seasons, you've got three players making $25 million or more on your infield. They're now basically out of the position player free agency top end of the market for at least the next couple of seasons. I'm not sure I want to do that for Dansby Swanson. I'm not sure that I want Dansby Swanson to be making $25 million when he's 33 or 34 years old on my roster. So when I look at that compared to like going out and signing a Bogarts or a Correa, who I know you said, Alex, you think that it's like unfair to put that on him. I don't. If you're going to go spend $25 million per year on a potential six-year contract for Dansby Swanson, just throw the extra $5 million per year on a longer-term deal. Yeah. And I know this is easy for me to say because it's not my money. But, guys, this is a premier, like, borderline Hall of Fame-level player that we're talking about in Carlos Correa. And Dansby Swanson's fine. That's the difference in what you're getting for that extra $5 million per year. And, yes, the back end of that deal might hurt. But the back end of the Dansby Swanson deal is likely to hurt as well. So when I look at this... For me, it's a no-brainer. If you're going to get into the free agent shortstop market, actually get into the top of the free agent shortstop market. Do you think that the Phillies are regretting right now signing Bryce Harper, a generational talent? Hell no. Do you think that the Padres are regretting signing Manny Machado right now? Are the Angels regretting signing Mike Trout? When you get into the top of the top, the creme de la creme market, it's worth it. If you get into that mid-tier, like slightly above average, that's where you get Trevor Story. That's where you get Javi Baez. Those deals, one year in, they are already regretting. And my fear would be for the Cardinals, you get a fine player and you're paying $25 million on a six-year deal for it. That would be a bad deal for the Cardinals, in my opinion. Here's the thing. And so many people I've seen say, like, why are you guys so down on Dan? You're not signing a shortstop because you need help defensively at shortstop. You got that in Tommy Edmond. John Mazalak basically told you, you got a very, very good shortstop in Tommy Edmond. You're signing a shortstop because you need a bat, and you need a really good bat. And one year of Dansby Swanson doesn't scream to me, you got a really, really good bat. That's where Xander Bogarts and Carlos Correa come into play. And the only reason I say, Carl, I'm with you. We had Keith Costas tell us, like, you, you missed Bryce Harper. Go get your Bryce Harper and Carlos Correa. But uh, we all know the Cardinals aren't going past six years on a deal, and that's where you're going to get into that puke point territory. And I, I just think that is such a mistake. If you limit yourself because of the years, you are limiting yourself but, outside of the Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Fernando, uh, Fernando Tatis is probably a different conversation here because of the off-field stuff. But Bryce Harper, like but these superstar-level players, they all sign for more than six years. But, all of them. But the next step down... And it's not that far of a step down is another really good offensive player that you can get for probably around the same amount of years as Dansby Swanson. The thing is with with Bogarts, and and I love him. I I think he's a a really good player. I would sign him personally. I I would have no issues with it. There are real questions there that we, we do have to acknowledge. The exit velocities have come down. I don't know how he responds to playing at Bush Stadium compared to playing at Fenway, which is a much better offensive environment for players. I don't know where he plays two years from now, much less this upcoming season where he is a pretty poor defender at short. I think he'd be fine, but I think he's not very good defensively there. Do you want him at second base without the shift? I'm not so sure. He might be a DH for you. And do you want to, two years from now, be paying 25 to $30 million per year for a DH? 
I could see how there's value in that still for him. The DH is going to hit consistently like Xander Bogarts, absolutely. For sure, but if that bat does take a little bit of a step back, I just think it's easier to make a case against Bogarts. I genuinely, outside of potential injury concerns, don't know what the case is against Carlos Correa. There really isn't one. Performance-based, he's the best guy available. I think he's better personally than Trey Turner. And you go out there, you get into that market, boy, howdy, let's do it. Like, that is a guy that you talk about supplementing the offense. You talk about going out and getting protection. Carlos Correa is all of those things. Carlos Correa is a stud defender. Carlos Correa is a franchise caliber player that, despite all the stuff I understand that happened in Houston, he can be the face of your franchise five years from now. That is the player that you go into those waters for. You go spend 25 plus million dollars in the market. That's the dude I'm doing it for. I'm not doing it for Dansby Swanson. No. Dansby Swanson, to me, I think, I mean, T-Bone, you made the reference to Adam Eaton earlier. I think Dansby Swanson's Dexter Fowler. And I think you're going to be regretting that contract after one year. I don't, I, I think Dansby Swanson, though, like, and this is where it's hard for me. I think he would be fine. I think if you ended up getting him on the roster, there would be a portion of Cardinals fans that really loved him. That would say the guy plays every day. He hits 270. He steals a few bases for you. It plays really solid defense. And I think there would be a, a decent segment of the fan base that says, I'm really happy that we have Dansby Swanson as our uh, future shortstop. I, I just personally think it's a misallocation of resources. I think you could do better. And so that that's why I come out on the other side of it. I, I don't think that it would be, I don't think you look back on it and say, this is an absolute disaster of a contract. I'd be pretty surprised if that happens. I, I agree with that. I don't think you'd look back on the deal, you know, six-year deal. I, I don't think you'd look back on it and go, man, that was awful. That was, $25 million, I think was, I might. That was five or six years that just were not what we were expecting. I, I think what you're more likely going to get was, you know, it was a fine signing, but, you know, it, it didn't live up to the expectation. Because, like, I look at his baseball reference page, and I saw someone bring this up earlier. You know, a guy, 25 home runs, nearly 100 RBIs. Yeah, but I, he's the guy that I look more at, like, his 2021 performance. He's probably more of a 250 hitter who's going to get on base, not at a great clip. He strikes out a lot, and it, he's got some decent power and have an OPS around that 750 to 770 mark. And, like, if that's the case, that's a good player to be brought in, but do you really want him on a six-year deal and that to be the answer for this offense moving forward? Here's a comp for you. One of the closest players to him in terms of the baseball reference player comps is J.J. Hardy. Do you guys remember J.J. Hardy with the Orioles and the Brewers there for yeah. a while? He was a really solid shortstop that you didn't mind having. He could play for a contender. He played for a contender with the Orioles back when they were good, when they had Machado uh, and him. He he was never like a great player, though. But he did, and early in his prime, hit like 25 home runs per year. And he was a guy that was going to get you like 80 RBIs and maybe steal you a couple bases, hit about 260, 270. He's a really solid shortstop. Good defensively. You liked having him on your team. But he was never anything that you were necessarily going to write home about. Yeah, that's and, him. And I saw someone mention, well, how about signing him to a deal where he's got options? If I'm Swanson, I don't know if I'd take a deal yeah. that had options in it, just because, if I'm being honest, maybe he gambles on himself and does that where you know he gets an opt out after year two or three. But if I'm Swanson's agent, I'd be telling him, dude, you had a career year. There's no guarantee you do it again. Just take guaranteed or, six years or whatever. Or if sure. I'm going to take a contract with options, I'm going to stay in Atlanta where at least I got a chance to win. Somebody on the text to win. What was that? Somebody on the text line six five seven eight zero zero card is real winning. Says you guys act like uh, Dansby Swanson is Paul DeYoung. Uh, Well, have you seen the strikeout numbers? I actually went through Paul DeYoung's first three seasons, compared it to Swanson's last three seasons. You guys aren't going to like the results. Paul DeYoung was almost identical offensively to Dansby Swanson. If you look at the first three from uh, DeYoung, last three from Swanson, but was significantly better defensively. 
in terms of the defensive run save, outs above average, all that stuff. So, yeah, I'm telling you that there's a, a lot of similarities between those all two. All right. If I wasn't out before, I'm officially out And now out I now. go back to the Dexter Fowler. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues have two options, retool or rebuild. Man, I don't like either of those options. We'll talk about that. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes, we'll talk about the Blues. There are two options, neither of which is particularly appealing. We'll do that coming up momentarily. But Alex, let's dive into the junk drawer. What do you have for us today? So have you guys been following this story in Idaho at the uh, at the college? I've been on the outskirts of it. Yeah. Kind of like the Cardinals with the shortstop market. Oh, you're just I've been dipping on the, the toe outskirts. in the water, yeah. huh? You're saying, My wife told me about it the other day. Your sources are, are saying that they're interested, which is essentially just making a phone call. This is this is just a wild story. And, and backstory here, I, I'm huge into true crime. Like, I just, I find it fascinating. I love watching those. And this is going to be a true crime documentary that's going to be talked about for a while. So if you don't know the story, a real quick synopsis of it. University of Idaho college students, they were murdered in an off-campus home where there were four of them in the home and they were all murdered. There was no signs of break-in. It was essentially that somebody got into the house or was in the house, killed four people, and then they cannot find the suspect. They're still searching to figure out who it is. The students are home on holidays right now, or they went home for the Thanksgiving break. They were supposed to come back for the Christmas, the you know, the, the chunk of schooling before the Christmas break. And now they're reporting that 25 to 40% of the students are saying, we're not coming back to campus, not just for that stretch of time. We're not coming back this year until this suspect is in custody because so many people are concerned that this is somebody going around and, and I mean like there's been so Central many mass serial yeah, killer. there's been so many true crime stories of guys who have or girls if they prowled the university campus and just picking people off nonstop. It is just a eerie story kind of watching everything that's unfolding in Idaho. This is going to be a documentary within the next five years once they do figure out if they figure out or it's going to be on unsolved mysteries which is just going to piss me off even more because then they're going to they're going to finish it and it's going to be like wait i need a resolution here so so they're calling it a stalker though like that's what they're saying right now they're saying that the 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 people that were were murdered were being stalked leading up to it at least that's what the the friends of the four students that were killed they're saying the stalker was involved but you and i were talking off air this isn't a one person thing. This I, seems like it's a multiple person thing. Yeah, I don't want to go into like a Nancy Grace type of situation, but here we go. True crime. Uh, let's go. Uh, I, from I like what I understand, and listen, again, I, you listening right now may have more information at your disposal than I do. So just think of me as like, you know, somebody that's talking without having all of the information available. Yeah, John was like just calling about the Cardinal shorts. That's right. I. From what I understand, there was at least two of these victims that were in the same bed together, right? I'm serious. Boyfriend, girlfriend, right? Yeah. So if one of them, imagine you and I, Alex, are in the same bed for whatever reason, and well, somebody starts to murder me. I'm uncomfortable. And now. it's a stabbing. That's what the that's what the wounds were, is the, they were they were stabbed to death. 
I would imagine at some point I probably make a sound that would wake you up, right? And if it's just one person trying to kill both of us at the same time, there's a pretty decent chance you either get up or recognize something or whatever, and you end up in a different scenario, different area. There was no signs of struggle or anything here. Like this, there appeared to be there was, yeah. two people that would like be going at it at the same time, so that way they could make sure that all of the victims weren't able to get a, get away. Yeah, in any there, way. there was no there was no signs of staging the body right. afterwards. There was no like where the the, the see, Nancy Grace is the victim who had moved out and came back in. Like it was both in the bed. Now there have been circumstances where yeah, you know what? Sometimes people either sleep through it or they wake up, and in the process of them waking up, then they get it too. But I, I mean, you're right. This is wild. And like, I am fascinated to how the story unfolds because like you've got a university now that's, and I mean, that's a massive university. It's the University of Idaho and kids are saying, I'm not coming back to school until you guys figure this out. And that's a tough thing to just figure out where there's a murder going on and a potential stalker around the, the, uh, the state of Idaho in that area. So what I don't understand and listen, I've never been in a house where a murder took place. So, no, I mean, you just point, you just painted us into a scenario happen. where we'd be in bed together. So how do the people that were living upstairs not hear this? That That's the part that I'm struggling with is there were like different rooms on different floors. Depends and on how the, quick the murder would go down, I guess. I guess. So if the if the murders happened, if you're sleeping, I don't know, man, it, this is. I mean, I'm interested to see when this. That's why it's an unsolved mystery and i i hate those if so you much. have any information on this please send a note to <laughs> unsolvedmystery.com love on Coming up in 15 minutes we'll get into a tinder tuesday that's right it's back you and said it wrong man a tinder tuesday we'll get into that coming up Ugh. in about 15 minutes or so but next the <laughs> blues have two options neither of which is particularly appealing we'll tell you what they are next here on 101 espn we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I don't know how you find that guy that is important to the, the younger players I don't know how you find that guy right now. So if we use the word instability, another thing in that press conference that Doug Armstrong brought up was the word rebuild. Well, you're mediocre and you're the fourth oldest team in the league. I would suggest, Kerry, that they're much closer to rebuild than Stanley Cup champion right now. That was Randy Carricker earlier today on The Morning Show. If you missed any of their show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. He used that word, Alex, the rebuild word. And thinking back to roughly one month ago, it is something that the president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong, brought up basically unprompted when he had the press conference saying, hey, listen, if we got to do a rebuild, retool, re whatever, maybe that's what we have to do here. We haven't done that in a while, and maybe that's what it's going to come to. Now, after that, they won a bunch of games in a row. We all thought, OK, this is going to get back on track. Everything's going to be fine. And now we're back into the same situation again. Alex, it sure feels to me at this point that the Blues have two options, retool or rebuild, and those mean vastly different things for both the immediate and the long-term future of the hockey organization. In your mind, what do those two paths look like? Yeah, I think I think what people need to be ready for if they're shouting from the mountaintops to rebuild, 
is get ready for a long rebuild because rebuilds don't just happen overnight. Show me a team that has entered rebuild mode that is back into being a playoff contender in less than five years because it doesn't happen. The Tampa Bay Lightning, I would argue, is probably the quickest turnaround from being a rebuilding team, but they stunk a lot. They had to get the first overall pick in Steven Stamkos, a top five pick in Victor Hedman, a top five pick or a top 10 pick, I believe, in Braden Point. Then they had to get Vasilevsky. Like, first of all, you're not just going into a rebuild and saying, all right, we're going to rebuild it. You got to find the picks and you got to hit on those picks and you actually have to get the picks and you have to stink for a while. People don't remember the rebuild that took place back in 2006 post lockout. They weren't competitive until 2011. So that was a five-year process, and that was on the good side of things. But it was also Doug Armstrong wheeling and dealing because they drafted Eric Johnson first overall, and it didn't pan out. And they had to trade that to get Chris Stewart and to get Kevin Shattenkirk. And they had to draft Perron and Oshie and Berglund and Tarasenko and Schwartz and Petrangelo. So I don't think rebuild makes any sense. And for people that want to see a rebuild, I don't think you have the patience for a rebuild because Edmonton is still in a rebuild. They're not getting out of it anytime soon. Despite them having two of the best players in the world, they still got, they're on the cusp of being a non-playoff team this season. The Colorado Avalanche, they're great, but they were bad for a really long time. And it took them a while to find those draft picks that panned out. I mean, Matt Duchesne was one of those guys in the rebuild mode for him. And he didn't pan out until they finally uh, decided to move on from him. So I think Doug Armstrong's in a spot right now where retooling makes more sense. It's rebuild or transition to retooling. And they're in a tough spot, but they're in a spot that I feel like you can find a way to flip this script pretty quickly. It's going to take some wheeling and dealing and some master work, but we've seen Doug Armstrong accomplish this in terms of moving some contracts out and making sure you've got the right core pieces in place and maybe being bad for a year, but nailing those draft picks. And this might be that year for them where, hey, We might not pan out to be a playoff team this year. We might be a bottom five team in the National Hockey League, but we've got two, arguably three unrestricted free agents that teams might covet that could get you first round draft picks. We could be looking at possibly something of us picking in the top three, top five, and then maybe in the top 15, and then maybe in the top 25, depending on how those draft picks turn out. Look no further than the Dallas Stars, guys. Like, Dallas Stars have done this transition. They were bad for, I guess you would argue, five consecutive years from 2008 to 2011, but then they'd make the playoffs, miss the playoffs, make the playoffs, miss the playoffs, make the playoffs, go to the cup final. But in that realm where they were making and missing, making and missing, they selected three generational players that are going to transition them into being one of the best teams in the Central, possibly the Western Conference in 2017, when they took Miro Haskin in fourth overall. They took Jake Ottinger, I think, 25th overall, and then Jason Robertson in the second round. You have one good draft and select players who can turn your team around? You're talking about being competitive again rather than sitting here saying, we're going to rebuild and blow it up because you're going to be waiting five, six years to potentially get to that level. And and that's where I am. To me, it is more they're in a more of a retool situation slash transition because when I think rebuild, I think a team that has to just sell off as many of their good players, if not all their good players as possible. Look at Arizona, for example. I mean, they're still trying to deal 
Chikrin, and they're and they're in a rebuild. They're going to be bad for five plus years, and you're just trying to collect as many high draft picks as possible to where you can draft the generation type talent. When I think of a transition, I think of one where you are selling off some pieces when they become available. For example, O'Reilly, Tarasenko this year, UFAs that probably aren't going to be back. If we're being honest, you sell those off, try and get some assets back. Maybe you look to move one big contract in the off season if it's possible. It may not be. And you try to stay somewhat competitive during a transition or a retool. And that takes two to three years. And that's kind of where Dallas is, to your point, where they're missing the playoffs, making the playoffs. You're still trying to remain somewhat competitive, and you're not necessarily trying for a top five pick. That's what a rebuild is. And I think they're not in a position to rebuild because I'm not sure they can move on from all of their best players on this team because of the big contracts that they have. I think they can retool and try and transition this team pretty quickly because you've got Cairo and Thomas who are young players that are locked up on their deals. You've got UFAs that are going to draw, would draw some interest on the trade market this year and Vladdy O'Reilly Barbie would probably draw some uh, attention as well. And then you got some contracts. Maybe someone would take someone like a Justin Falk. I don't know. Just throwing out a contract, maybe a brain chin, just throwing out a big term deal. Move that, gain some assets, and within maybe a year or two, you've cleared some money off the books. You're already looking at a team that can get back into this kind of playoff form and potentially with a new group and a new core surrounding Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. I think that the problem for the Blues in either scenario is that you risk becoming the Sharks. Because the Sharks, what's pro- what's been a problem for them is they are locked into so many of these big money deals. Now, theirs are bigger. They've got the $11.5 million salary for Eric Carlson, which is essentially two of the Blues defensemen. But it's the same issue, is that you can't move it. Like there, there's just nobody that wanted Eric Carlson. Now, maybe that changes, and maybe they are eventually able to get rid of it, but it's hampered them over the last couple of seasons, and they haven't been able to move it. You look elsewhere on their roster. They've got a $7 million multi-year contract. They've got an $8 million multi-year contract. Another $8.5 million multi-year contract. Like they, they've got a lot of these where it became difficult for them to move on. And now they're trying to quote-unquote rebuild. And they just seem stuck. And there's really no path forward for them. And so when you look at the way that the Blues are trying to f- maneuver through this thing, it's just not easy. Like neither path is is appealing for this squad. The answer is they really need these players that they bought into to play better. They need Tory Krug to work out. They need Justin Falk to work out eventually. And so if you want to call it retooling, if you want to call it trying to figure it out, whatever you want to label it as, I think that's the only way forward. I don't I don't think this team can truly quote unquote rebuild. And if they do, it looks like the Sharks where where are the Sharks going? What does their future look like? What is the hope for them right now? They're going to be bad, and even if those draft picks do work out, the problem is the timeline because now you still, over the next four years, are stuck with these contracts, so it's not like you can supplement that young talent that they're bringing in in the next couple of seasons with drafts with other like similar level of talent via free agency or trades. They're stuck. And that's where the Blues would be if they tried to go that rebuild path. Yeah, well, and I think the Blues are in a different spot than the Sharks, just in terms of, you're right, they have to get these players performing better, but this is the hard part for Doug Armstrong. He's got to evaluate who makes the most sense for your core. This is the transition compared to the rebuild, retool versus rebuild. I, I think the Sharks tried to retool, and it just failed. 
But what I mean is, like, they haven't been competitive with the same group of people for three consecutive years. Like, the Blues have been competitive with these guys. You got to get these guys back to the level that they can be competitive while you're transitioning with some younger talent on your roster. I guess what I'm saying is you're at risk of being the 2020 Sharks right now, where they thought they were about to go through a retool. This was like that season. They ended up firing Peter DeBoer midway through the year. This was the pandemic season. Um, But prior to that, they lost a Stanley Cup final, went to the first round of the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, conference finals. They had been competitive with that core. And then it all like went awry and now they stink. But what I'm <laughs> but what I'm saying years. is like they they had a core that was aging out and you've got a core that's aging out, but their next core of, of players I don't think was ready for that leadership role. That's what I'm saying Doug Armstrong's got to an, analyze. Does he have a core in place that's ready to transition into this new group to lead? Because if you don't, if you don't feel like you have a group of guys that can get these younger players in, look, you can draft Connor Bedard this season and say we're going to be great. But if you don't have the proper leadership in place that can take this younger core and lead them into being competitive again, then you're going into a rebuild because you're going to be bad for three, four, five, six, seven years. Right. But what I'm saying is. I, he may not have a choice. It may not be optional. I don't think well, you got a choice. I mean, the Sharks were able to move on from Brent Burns. They're just paying some of his cap space. But it took three years of being bad to get there first. Like they had Timo Meyer in 2020. This was like right at the beginning of their downfall. They had Brent Burns. They had Eric Carlson. They had Logan Couture. They had Tom, Tomas Hurdle. They had Mark Edward Vlasic. Like these guys that are still there. They've they've been there for five years plus, and but, they were part of the core that won, and then they were part of the core that fell, and this is where the similarities come in for the Blues. What I'm saying is the Sharks, I don't know, had an option because these these contracts that they had on the roster, they had to keep trying to piece it together to see if eventually something would stick, and it just never stuck, and now they're stuck with these contracts, and they're bad, and so the, the only option for them became a rebuild. But... The transition portion that I'm speaking of, though, is that reason that that dropped off quickly for the Sharks is because they moved on from Joe Thornton. They moved on from Patrick Marlowe. They moved on to Joe Pavelski. Didn't the Blues basically do this? And that's what I'm saying. The Blues have to analyze right now. And that's how you can either transition or you become the Sharks in a rebuild. What I'm saying is I fear the the Blues, without knowing it, already became the Sharks. And we didn't realize it until it was too late. Because the Sharks didn't try to become this. The Sharks over years made moves that became what they are now. And the Blues over, and they they did that, by the way, out for good reason. They tried to win a Stanley Cup. Like, they were trying to accomplish the stated goal. They were trying to piece things together the right way. And they added pieces that just didn't work out. And my concern, and maybe this is where we, you're kind of talking about the future. I'm talking about, are we already there? My concern is the Blues already made the moves that kind of dug that grave for them and it worked for a couple of years and now that they have let their versions of those players that you spoke of go petro and you look this past off season with perron maybe we're already where the sharks were and we didn't realize it until it was too late maybe this is the sharks 2020 season I think you can still get out of it, though, because I think you have the proper leaders. Like, you lost one of those leaders, but you got the other guys there that have been there for a long time. I think it's just making sure you're going to have them after this year. That's the question you got to ask if you're Doug Armstrong. And I'm not even sure they should have that guy after this year. I I love Ryan O'Reilly, but if his leadership right now is not working, is it going to start working after this season? 
That's the question I think Doug's got to ask. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the problem. I don't know if there's other issues that are going on. Nobody's going to know that other than Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube. But that's the difference, I think, in transitioning, retooling, and rebuilding. If the Sharks are, if what I'm saying, and I'm not saying necessarily that they are this, but if the Sharks are the or the the Blues are the 2020 Sharks, what does that mean? It means means you're entering a rebuild, and it's going to be bad for a while because you're going to have to wait until these these contracts expire. But that's where I feel the Sharks came into that season with an over under of 95 points. Sounds sound familiar. You remember that? That (laughs) And that's the difference between Sharks and the Blues, too, is the leadership involved. Like they had uh, um, what's his name? Is it it's Ron Wilson? Ron Wilson, I believe, or Doug Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson was their general manager, and they thought that, okay, well, this isn't working. We've got to go to somebody else. You've got Doug Armstrong, who's been able to wheel and deal guys out of a bad contract and benefit the team. It all comes down to this offseason. It all comes down to you might stink and get a first overall draft pick, but does that first overall draft pick mean you're going to stink for the next three seasons getting first, second, third, fourth overall draft picks? Then you're in for a long haul. Or does one first overall draft pick or top five overall draft pick, does he get entered into a locker room that's already got a winning culture, that's got the right guys in place, and you transition into a new message with that team? Yeah, I, I just don't think it's very easy. Like I, I, my, When I look at this cap sheet, man, and we we had talked about this in the past, but we were like, ah, they're good. It'll be fine because at least they're winning right now. It's going to be hard to move Tory Krug if you decide he's not part of that core that you're talking about. It's not going to be easy to move Colton Pareko with an eight-year contract when he's been playing this way in 2022. I don't know if you want to move on from some of those forwards, but you're locked into them for so long that is it in your best interest to do so before they potentially fall off it's just a really difficult situation to be in and that's where you end up locking yourself into a team that just can't win and that's where the sharks ended up and the hope is that that's not where the blues already are i just i hope people aren't i i hope people are prepared what they're asking for in terms of rebuild and they might be forced into this and doesn't matter if you're prepared for it or not but i i do think there's a way through this if you're able to manage around it but what does that look like? I guess that's what well, I don't Dallas understand. Stars, I think is a perfect example of it. I mean, you don't think that they wish they could get out of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan's contracts of $18 million combined between both of them. I mean, they absolutely do. But some, I think the problem for the Blues, though, is that more it's their entire two. defensive core yeah. that they want to get out of potentially. Yeah, there is. And you could you could potentially move on from one of them. But I don't think that fixes anything because there's still three. <laughs> Because you've got but like what twenty million dollars tied what up, I'm, guys. The, the last couple of years of Dallas has been Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benner, the leaders, and the owner has come out and basically said these guys are awful leaders and they're not performing. Like they wanted out of those contracts. Dallas looked like they were in for a down spiral significantly, but they got the right pieces in place to play with those guys. They got the right leadership in place that was already involved with them, and they basically said we need to win with you. And Dallas might suck next year for all we know. But Dallas is prepared now with some younger pieces that they connected on with guys that they thought were just not the right leadership core in place because they weren't living up to the potential of their contract. And then all of a sudden you get the right guys to play with them and all and boom, they're performing to the level that you need them to. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the Blues can do that, though. That's the, that's that's going to be the toughest part for Doug Armstrong. In 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. We'll look at tonight's game for the Blues back-to-back. We're going to see Grice. He does indeed exist for this team. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Tinder Tuesday, including 
Would you sign up for these deals, whether it be trade or free agency for the Cardinals by the end of this week? Swipe right if you like it. We'll swipe left if we don't. Tinder Tuesday is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's super excited about this. Can you imagine if you were sitting next to somebody and you looked down and they're just on Tinder, swipe into the right on everything. And it's baseball players' faces. So if you're not familiar, we should start a Tinder Tuesday app. Like on the 101 ESPN app, you go to it, and we have a Tinder for baseball players. Yeah, we'll just put that on Ryder's uh, desk. I'm sure he's not busy. You're not doing anything. (laughs) I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, Are you crying, Ryder? (laughs) He's got nothing more to do. He'll be fine. Let's play a game of Tinder Tuesday on the radio, not on the app. I'll put my phone down. You guys can play along at home. It's a very simple game. You swipe to the right if you like it. You swipe to the left if you don't. Let's start with Cody Ballinger, who earlier today... What the hell, man? Sorry, I forgot the super swipe. (laughs) Earlier today, John Heyman reported that he is looking for a $20 million one-year contract offer. Now, my guess is he doesn't get all the way to $20 million. Maybe he ends up at like $15 million. Shoot for the stars, he just might hit the moon. Right, Alex? Who said that? Alex, you swiping right or left on a $15 million one-year contract for Cody Bell. Now, you can read that report, and then I can read this title of an article that says, Ex-Dodgers Cody Bellinger spotted training for revenge with Matt Holiday. That screams perfect signing. I'm still going to... This always confuses me. Left if you like it, right if you don't. No, the other way. It always confuses me, ma'am. Literally, Literally, right if you like it, it left if you don't. You just got to listen. You just got to listen. Right. So right, right if, you, if you like it, left if you don't. Seems like a weird Super way to swipe. Super swipe if you really love it. I'll swipe right because I think I like this one still. One year, $15 million. I still think he could be an impact bat for you. So I'm going to say Cody Ballinger for 15 mil. Come on board. Let's get $27 million for Cody Bellinger. And hey, Paul at least Young. I'm not freaking throwing $25 million at Dansby Swanson I for seven years. I would much rather do that. No, I, I don't need a guy who strikes out a lot. I want this dude I, with a shoulder injury. Have you seen Cody Bellinger yeah. play baseball? He was an MVP. <laughs> I'd swipe so hard to the left, I'd drop my phone. I, I have no interest in Cody Bellinger. There's a reason the Dodgers let him go. He can't be fixed. He's broken. Yeah. The shoulder messed up. that when he's an MVP this upcoming season season might, maybe for the rotten tomatoes for how bad he's gonna be who likes rotten tomatoes i'm though? out i'm calling time out for a moment did you, you really say you're worried about the strikeout rate yeah. for no i'm not worried about it i know the strikeouts are going to be there with dansby swanson i read you the title of the article he's preparing for revenge with matt holiday cody bellinger struck out 27 percent each of the last two seasons with the dodgers not with the cardinals Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm swiping to the left. If you could get Cody Bellinger on a one-year, like, seven, eight, nine million dollars. Sure. Minimum. Let's do it. I'm in. I do not want to overpay for a guy that I am hoping, and it's it's purely hope. There is no reason to believe other than hope 
that he gets back to the form that he was previously. I, I'm very much not interested in a significant offer for Cody Bellinger, even if it is a one-year deal. All okay, right, we'll see. Let's get to the trade market. Swipe right if you like it, left if you don't. Alec Burleson, this is all speculation. I want to say that on the front end. Alec Burleson, Michael McGreevy, and Nolan Gorman to the Oakland Athletics for Sean Murphy to be your next franchise catcher. Burleson, McGreevy, Gorman for Sean Murphy. Right if you like it, left if you don't. You jumped pretty quick over there, T-Bone. <laughs> Wait, which is so right if you like it, left if you don't. <laughs> Get so angry. You need to learn to have some patience, man. You're going to need it. I, I would swipe left on this. I, I don't want to give up Gorman in the deal for Murphy, and I'm afraid that's what it's going to cost. Again, to me, that Dude, is too just, pricey to give up for. You for the hotkey. Because I thought, I you, thought were you were going to super no, swipe it. No way in hell would I super swipe that. I thought you were going to scream super swipe or BK would. So I would swipe left. To me, that is too much for Sean Murphy. Again, he's a good all-around catcher. To me, it's paying too much. It, it's paying too much because there's a bidding war for the player. I it, If Murphy wasn't in a bidding war between multiple teams, you wouldn't give that much up for him. So I, I'm out. I I'm swiping left. Too much cost. Nolan Gorman, potential 30 home run guy. I don't want to give that away just yet. I'd swipe right on this one, actually, because I I, I don't think it's as much as I thought it was originally going to cost you. Like, you still keep Juan Yapez, and I get Juan Yapez or Alec Burleson, one of the two. I think they're the same player in terms of the DH spot. Sucks to give up a Michael McGreevy, but in my eyes, as long as I'm not giving up a Tink Kent, I think I'm in good shape because I think he's going to be the bigger prospect mm-hmm. for you. And look, I don't want to give up Nolan Gorman, but I need to fix my catcher position. And if this is only going to cost me $3 million for the next few years, um, other than when the arbitration kicks in compared to the 17 mil that a Wilson Contreras is going to cost, I'm okay with this. So I, I'd swipe right. I would swipe right on this as well. It is a lot. Super swiping. Come on. But when you read all of the reports, it sounds like Michael McGreevy's future is like as a back end of the rotation type of a starter. He's more pitch to contact. He's kind of what you've had in the past from a lot of these guys that have come up through the system. Throw strikes, pitch to contact, four or five starter kind of thing is what you're hoping for out of him. Nolan Gorman, we know what he is. He's going to be a, a power producing player. I think his future is in the outfield. I do not think that he has a long term fixture, especially here on the infield. Maybe in Oakland, he gets back to playing third base for them. And Alec Burleson, listen, I I like him. I think that he projects to be a potential helpful piece for you. But where is he right now on the pecking order of outfielders for you? He's like fifth, sixth, maybe seventh going into the season. And I just don't see how that's a guy that would prevent me from trading for Sean Murphy, who I think is the very clear cut best option for you as a catcher. I would do this deal. I would swipe right on it. That being said, if they decided to swipe left, it may be be because of a deal like this. There was a report yesterday that the Chicago White Sox are listening on offers for Liam Hendricks, their superstar all-star level closer who has two years left on his current contract at roughly $25 million total, $12 million this year, 13 next year. Would you trade Alex swipe right? If you like it left, <laughs> if you, if you don't, okay, hold on. I'm trying to Alec that. Burleson and Jordan Hicks for Liam Hendricks. Burleson and Hicks for Liam Hendricks. Oof. It's a lot for one reliever, but he's one of the best in all of baseball. Does the age concern you? I mean, everything concerns me when I'm trading for a reliever. So, yes. (laughs) Good, 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 good. I think I'm going to swipe. I think I'll swipe right on this. I think you're getting better in your bullpen with this trade. And Alec Burleson is an unknown. Liam Hendricks is a better pitcher than Jordan Hicks. Still getting a Hicks in this, which is good. 
Liam Hendricks, Jordan Hicks. Never mind. Yeah, I'm swiping right on this one. I think this makes your bullpen that much better. A one, two, three punch of Helsley, Gallegos, and Hendricks. I'm on board. That's why for me, it's a super swap. <laughs> he's not trading Burleson for an everyday catcher. <laughs> but he's going for a 33 year old reliever. I didn't say Burleson was the negative aspect of oh, the Oh, We know how Murphy this works deal. with Cardinals fans, though. They didn't trade Carlson for Soto, so it was clearly one for one. That's how I, I feel about you right now. This man just super no, swiped for I, a 33 year old reliever. <laughs> Gorman was the reason I didn't do it's that. It's because deal. he's from down under, isn't it? I love a good Aussie. So, yes, I am totally in on this. They need some more swing and miss in the bullpen you move jordan hicks you move burleson look they've got plenty of solid middle relief guys they don't necessarily need jordan hicks liam hendricks come in and provides that big three i talked about it going into the playoffs you need a three three four three big bats three big starters and four solid and awesome relievers they don't get any they of got, those they got two awesome relievers you add hendricks you get a third and somebody can emerge as the fourth maybe thompson is, becomes that guy for them as well, I would totally be in on this deal. Super swipe. I'd like the general manager against you. I'd be winning. I'd like the povo against you. I wouldn't have Bellinger on a bad contract. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> that is fair. Um, 15 mils, not a bad contract, guys. If MVP. God, I would love to have Liam Hendricks here in St. Louis. You want me to hit the button? I He is so good. And when you look at some of the like overall metrics on him, you look at the baseball savant numbers of whiff rate. Oh, is it sexy? 99th percentile. Is it red? He was literally like among the best pitchers in all of baseball when it comes to inducing swing and miss. And this is not just a one-year stretch. Also, by the way, never walks anybody. Over the last three seasons, here's what he's done in terms of his, his walk rate. 98th percentile, 100th percentile. Mm. And this past year, took a step down. He's 63rd percentile. But the, the track record is there. And it's swipe right or swipe left. Swipe or right not. if you like it, left if you don't. Do you not know the rules? I think I would do it. That being said, if if Burleson was a deal breaker for Murphy, I would not do this deal because I would rather include him in the deal for I, Sean Murphy. I I'm never so, said Burleson was a deal breaker for Murphy. So Let the I, record be clear. I, like I will swipe you. right on Liam Hendricks for Burleson and, Bur, uh, and Hicks. But that Burleson piece is the one that would be tough for me. Here's, here's the question for you, Tanner. If they ended up trading Burleson, McGreevy, and Gorman, follow-up, for Sean Murphy... And instead of Burleson and Hicks, it's Yepes and Hicks. How does that change the way that you view this potential trade? Would you trade Yepes and Hicks for Liam Hendricks? Are you that in on it? No, because I think your offense potentially got worse. Hey, you lost it, two bats. That. You lost two bats. You lost Gorman. And look, I understand people are out on Gorman after, you know, being hyped about him last year and then seeing him in person and then bailing. Not cool. Couldn't hit a fastball. I, I think I think defense. he I think he has a good year this year. I think Gorman, I'm not saying he's gonna be a superstar, I mean MVP caliber player, but I think you see the 30 home run pop in him this year. And also, Juan Yepes can provide 20 to third run power, home run power for you. And right now, he's looking as a what if they were also going to sign a shortstop? <laughs> Let's calm down. Man, what is wrong with this offseason right now? Like they end up with Murphy, Hendricks, and one of the short. Let's say let's say it is the shortstop that we think that they're actually potentially interested Swanson. in with Swanson. Are you in on that? Oh, yeah, there it is. I, now he's warming up it, to it's it. It's a super compelling offseason. I, I genuinely, like, I would need some time to sit down and think about that a little bit more. But Tan- I, Tanner would need to smoke a cigar after this. Yeah. Let me have a, let me get a cigar out and smoke it real quick. That'll give me plenty of time to think about it. But I, you know, just quick thought on that. I I would say that you, you got better, but I don't think it's as better. It, it's not, it's not as, I'm trying to think of the best phrasing. It's not of this. better enough. 
it, it's not as good as I thought the expectation was going into sure. the offseason. Where I thought it was, you know, we're really going to make marginal improvements. We're tired of getting knocked out in the wildcard round. And then I look at that offseason, you say, did you accomplish what you're looking for? I mean, to yeah, be fair, but I'm not sure you got that much better. They would add arguably the best bullpen arm that became available. They would add probably the best catcher, in my opinion, that changes teams. And you have Cody Ballinger. And you have what most believe to be one of the top five position players on the open market. And they added all of that in one offseason. And what they traded was three guys that could have factored into their DH spot, probably. And a minor league pitcher. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. But pretty good I don't off-season. think you got as good as what I thought the expectation was going to be going into the offseason, especially when I heard, well, payroll's going up. And Change then I learned Dansby Swanson's kind of name to Xander Bogarts, and I'm super swiping that. You feel the same way? If it was Bogarts, Instead I, of Swanson. I, would, I would feel better about that than Swanson. So speaking of the shortstops, let's go through these real quick. These are the projections that we've seen everywhere, but I want to see where we're at now compared to where we were previously. If the Cardinals end up getting Sean Murphy, let's use that as the, the starting point, because I think that's the only way either of those be- these become possible. You swipe in right or left, Alex, right? If you like it, left if you don't. Six years, $150 million for Dansby Swanson. That's $25 million per year for Swanson. Swiping left. Can I super swipe left? Because no. I don't want this. I don't want this. I had $25 million six years for this. No. Go up a little higher, higher, pay a little bit more, and go get Xander Bogarts. I just, I don't think this makes your team better with Dansby Swanson. It makes him a little bit better but I just don't think it makes them the offense that they need to succeed. So no, I'm swiping left. I'd agree with that. I would swipe, I would swipe left on the Swanson contract. I just don't think he's going to live up to the expectation that Cardinals fans think he's going to be when he gets here on that kind of contract. So I'd swipe left. I would swipe left on him as well. What about seven years, $190 million for Xander Bogarts? That's roughly $27 million per year. Swipe super swipe. <laughs> Give me Sander Bogarts. That makes this offense better. And then find a way to make the trade for your catcher. Go into this offseason. Heck, if you want to, sign yourself a uh, bullpen arm. Whatever you want. But that makes your team better. If they did this, they ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> like, yeah, let's you be can, very clear. Nah, you your can, bullpen is what it is. Nah, you can get, like, I don't know, somebody who... From the bargain bin? Yeah, yeah some, you, somebody will come go on a, a minor league contract you're getting Aaron for you. Brooks. That's who you're getting. Hey, and Aaron you're not Brooks was good for those it. five games. Yeah, I don't know what his issue It must have been the air quality or something. It's I don't Nick know Whitgren why doing. Uh, I, I would swipe right on the Bogarts deal, and I understand the concerns of Foley. He's going to be moved to second base at some point in that deal, or what if he becomes an everyday DH? You think the Red Sox had an issue with, like, don't J.D. Care. Martinez being an everyday DH? My opinion, no. I mean, he was awesome for them during the spurt of that contract. So I, I would have no issues with that deal. I don't actually have an opinion. I don't have a problem with someone ultimately ending up being an everyday DH at some point in their career. I've said that about Gorman. Like, if his yep. defense doesn't pan out, I think the best utilization of him is to become an everyday DH. So I don't have an issue with that. I would swipe right on that contract. Better player in my mind than what Dansby Swanson is. And especially is. if I'm getting Xander Bogarts, I'm on board if I'm tr- making those trades, like making the trades for um, the Sean Murphys where you're taking away one of those everyday DH options. Well, I don't need that DH option anymore because that's what Xander Bogarts projects to be in three years. I'm swiping right. Let's be honest. Super swipe it, man. Get a little frisky. I, I can't super swipe it just because of the age and defensive issues. He's going to be 36 by the end of the deal, which doesn't scare me that much, honestly. Seven years for Bogarts, I think it's fine. It's when you get into the eight plus that it becomes a little bit more concerning. But seven years, $27 million per year, that feels like a deal that will age okay. Hey man, Johnny Maybe the last two, shortstop. The last two years in that, he very well may be a DH. I think I'm fine with that. 
as long as he can play shortstop for the next couple of years, and then maybe he transitions over to second, and then eventually he becomes a DH for you. I think you leave that feeling pretty good because of those first two to three years where you had him, Arenado, and Goldie, and then eventually you hope that it's him, Arenado, and Jordan Walker. And he's part of that transition into the next core for you, and he's here for the long haul. I would swipe right on Xander Bogarts. BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of Cardinals tickets coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, join the holiday spirit by supporting this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts. It's hosted by the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. If you donate $25 online now through this coming Monday, December the 12th, to support the Little Bit Foundation, you're going to receive your choice of either a Rivers or a Thompson 101 ESPN jersey as a gift for your donation. You can make your donation right now at 101ESPN.com. The 12 Days of T-Shirts is powered by McBride Homes. At the end of this segment, I'm going to give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets for a five Five-game Sunday pack throughout the Cardinals 2023 season. But Alex, the Blues are back in action tonight against the Islanders. The expectation is that they will have Grice in net. What are you hoping to see at this point from the Blues to not even necessarily convince you that they're back on track, but just to make the rest of this season compelling for you? Honestly, baby steps with this. I want to see a period where you don't give up three or more goals. Give me a period where you play like you did in the first two, because if you lose that game to the Rangers last night, but you only give up one goal and it's a four, three loss or a five, four loss, but it was a competitive third period. I'd at least feel like you're making baby steps, but seven straight games where you've given up three or more goals in one period, 15 of your 25 games, you've done that. Give me 60 minutes of um, competitive hockey that you look like at least a confident bunch. And you could build off of that penalty kill and turnovers. Those are the two things that I think you got to live with the turnovers. I'm with you. But if you can limit the turnovers and you can improve on the penalty kill, those are two places where you're just getting crushed this year. And it's leading to odd man rushes going the other direction with the um, penalty or with the turnovers. Last night we saw it on the power play where it led to a shorthanded goal. That's the kind of thing that this team just has to start improving upon. So if I can get two things that just start playing better in those specific areas. Those would be the two things. And maybe it's just one tonight. And then moving forward, they get to the, yeah, I, I unfortunately feel like the penalty kill is what it is right now. I hope not, but I just feel like it is what it is. Hey, if you are texture number 101 at six, five, seven, eight, Oh, you're going to get a chance to receive a five game Sunday pack for the Cardinals. 2023 season features a pair of tickets to five Sunday Cardinals games, including a Cubs summer matchup and a great promotional giveaway as well. The holiday tickets start at just $54. They're on sale right now at cardinals.com slash holiday. You can win right now by texting six, five, seven, eight, Oh, if you are texture number 101 and you can tell us in which state our murder mystery was located in that we talked about during the junk drawer which state was that located in text number 101 you are going to win the pair of tickets to the cardinals games next summer for alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley we will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m hopefully with some news on the cardinals and the catcher market the fast lane's coming up next year on 101 espn You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding 
or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.